Chapman? Here. Roberts? Here. Vice Mayor, Vice Chair Wiley? Here. Mayor, Chair Carley? Here. Will you please stand with me if you can for a moment of silence? Councilmember Stockton, will you lead us in the pledge? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Let's see. Councilmember Silva has joined. And so we're still missing... Councilmember Ritchie. With that, uh, do we have any changes on tonight's agenda? Yes, Mr. Mayor, we have two items that um, we will be recommending be continued until the December 12th meeting. That being item 6C is in Charlie and item 9A um, related to the downtown business improvement district. Both of those items will be continued until the December 12th meeting. All right, so other than those two items, do I have a motion? Motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. We'll move on to the approval of the minutes. Do I have a motion? Motion to approve the minutes. Second. We have a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. And uh, while there are no presentations tonight, the consent calendars A through H minus C, any member of the public or the council wishing to pull an item from consent calendar tonight? Yes. If you can, just come forward real quick. Which which item would you wish to pull? Concerning the $250,000 from the uh, county one? transportation. So which item is that? Oh, I... 6E? Hmm? Okay, that would be 6E. So hold off, if we're gonna do this properly, then you've asked to pull 6E. Anyone else wishing to pull an item? Do I have a motion? Motion approved, all except 6E. Motion and second, all in favor? Aye. Aye. All right, so we will then address item 6E. Why don't you come forward? I was unclear on the process. Yeah. All I would like to comment upon is the, I realize that this isn't costing the city anything as the money's coming from the county transportation and some kind of funding from the state or the federal government, but it just seems to me that it's not, it's just an example of more stuff because it's free, because at some point, city staff is going to have to do maintenance and repairs on, on this thing. I very seriously doubt that the photo, you know, 
photovoltaic EV charger is going to be very efficient. Be, you know, I notice as I go past the big line of chargers that's out near Mel's uh, hamburger stand now, that a lot of that space is unused because people charge them at home or whatever other reason, but this whole thing about the government supporting the EV industry, I just wonder at what point that it finally goes away because I don't, you know, I realize that this is going to happen because it's free, but the city's going to wind up paying for it to maintain it in the end. That's all. Thank you. Thank you. Being that this is now an item, anyone else from the, from the, uh, the public wishing to comment on this? And I'll bring it back to the council. Any, any concerns or questions or comments from the council? Seeing none, do I have a motion? I'll just make a comment. Can you make a comment? Yeah, just a brief comment. Just, um, I think, you know, if you look historically, uh, whether what the new technology that continues to roll out, there's expenses with all of that. Um, it's just, you know, I know there's a lot of different opinions to see, you know, is it worthwhile? How do we calculate that? Um, uh, to your point, it's difficult to know what that true cost is and what the impact is based on what's out there. But the fact of the matter is just like what we have with non-EV vehicles are still maintenance that's required with that and ongoing maintenance. And um, it's something that actually there's other items that we just approved that um, and, or maybe maybe considering that that's always an issue. But um, uh, the, the free money, as we know, is not free. Um, the money comes from somewhere. Uh, but I think it's just part of the overall uh, progress and how we manage and continue to move forward uh, with the different challenges that that uh, not just we as a nation face, but we locally face. So this, this is my comments. Uh, but I'll motion to approve 6E. All right. We have a motion. Do we have a second? Second. All in favor? Aye. Uh, aye. I appreciate your comments. On working through this. All right. This time we will move on to item seven, business from the floor. This is a time to address the council on items not on the agenda, but under our jurisdiction. And to start with, what I'd like to do is just so that we can progress properly, if you, if you wouldn't mind starting it. Good evening, Mayor and members of the public. I'm Ron Turner. I'm with uh, State Senator Bill Dodd's office, and I have my coworker here with me, and Virginia Chavez Hernandez. And we would like to, on behalf of State Senator Bill Dodd, recognize three business leaders, three individuals that we would really like for you to recognize also along with us. And I'm going to have Richard Rico was unable to attend, but we have his daughter. Jennifer, would you like to come on down? And then we have Tom, please. Tom, come on down. And also Lauren, would you stand next to your resolutions, please? And these are all names that you've seen before and individuals that you recognize and folks that have been very involved with our community. And now I'll have uh, Virginia make the presentation. 
Good evening, council members, and good evening, public. It is with great honor and great pride that we stand here before you on behalf of Senator Bill Dodd to honor three exceptional individuals, beginning with Mr. Tom Felipe and his lifelong dedication to the sustainability and the quality of life of both the public here in Vacaville and the public of Solano County and to Ms. Lauren Renault for your dedication and your strive with your 100th issue of the Vacaville Magazine, both supporting and honoring the, the qualities and dedication of other reporters and that of the lifelong achievement that is the Vacaville Magazine, and to Ms. Lauren of Mr. Richard Rico, your father's not excuse me, I do apologize, <laughs> it's been a night. Ms. Jennifer, of your father's achievement, not only as a renowned newspaper publisher, but as well as a columnist for the reporter and for being a Vacaville life, lifetime native and a resident. Thank you guys. And on behalf of Senator Bildad, we also extend to the public and as well to members of the council, if there are any other individuals, businesses, and members of the community you wish to see honored and as well, or believe who are deserving of our exceptional and rare Senate resolutions. Our doors are open and we are more than willing, willing and open to speak with you all. Thank you. So I'll close real quick and uh, these uh, resolutions are one of a kind. They will, uh, once Senator Bill Dodd turns out office, they'll never be reproduced. These are actually state controlled documents. So there's a, a number uh, that's recorded um, at the state capitol with these documents. And so um, we're just very pleased that we're, we have this opportunity to recognize three, these three individuals. Would you like to say anything? Ron and uh, members of the council, we're very pleased to be here. It's 40 years since I started this business, and I, I would be remiss if I didn't thank my wife for being there with me the entire time. Uh, interestingly enough, tonight is our 47th anniversary of dating together. So five children and 20 grandchildren later, we're very pleased to be here tonight. And I'm really grateful to be here with Lauren and uh, with Jennifer. Um, the Vacaville Magazine has been a huge supporter of not only our business, but the Play for All Park, which I'm not sure we would have opened without her support, and, and we appreciate that very much. And I have to tell a quick story about Richard, and I, I wish he was here to hear it. In 1983, when I started my business, I've been here 40 years since Philippi Engineering, Richard approached me with a phenomenal idea, this dream he had of uh, honoring the, the Vacaville reporter for 100 years of business in Vacaville. And Don Burrell was a famed artist that worked for him. He came up with this idea of a flagpole monument at uh, the end of Main Street. And he trusted a young engineer to do the structural and construction drawings and construction management. And as a 28-year-old engineer, we were able to do that. And he honored me with helping him raise the flag, flags for the first time in the Merriman on Main. It has always been one of my favorite projects here in Vacaville. And I was able to reciprocate that 
last year when we duplicated the Merriman on Main flagpoles at the Play for All Park, and Richard helped me raise the flags for the first time at Play for All, and we're grateful to be here. Thank you. Thank you. First, I wasn't going to say anything until I looked at what is on there, and it says um, that really I got my start at the Vaca High Yearbook. And when people ask me, "How did you start a magazine?" I started with the Vaca High Yearbook. Roy and Craig were there; they they knew if you couldn't find me, I was in the yearbook class. And so I really want to encourage everybody in the community, the um, city council, everything, to put effort into the kids because I use the exact same programs that I learned in Vaca High. And without that program, without that, I would never have gone to art school. I, I had a teacher who said, this is what you need to do. And obviously it is. Here I am 17 years later with a publication that I was able to start because of my husband. He's been by my side this entire time. And my dad, who told me, don't quit your job. <laughs> when I said, I'm going to start a magazine, he's like, oh, God, what are you going to do? Uh, it's a joke now, but really without their support. And the amazing city of Vacaville. People have asked. I've had other cities call me and say, we want you to do it in our city. And I'm like, I don't have the passion for your city like I do Vacaville. So thank you for keeping Vacaville the way it is. And thank you, John, for always writing an article for me. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So thank you on behalf of my father. He loves this city. It seems to be a theme, um, the immense passion that people have that live here and who dedicate their life's work to writing about it and sharing it with all of us. So thank you. Thank, thank you, Council. Yeah, thank, thank you so much. And thank you for all your contributions over the years. Really appreciate it. And business from the floor is still continuing, so you may you may continue to proceed. Good evening. Oh. Hi, I'm Sarah Dunn with Keep Vacaville Safe. Um, I'm back again. <laughs> um, we're opposed to the lithium-ion uh, Menard battery storage project. Um, I realize there's no formal application um, and there's no, no decision on your table to vote for, but I do want to present this information so you have all the facts in front of you when the time comes to make that decision or any other lithium ion project in the city. Um, and in the past, I've talked about the number of fires. Today, I'd like to talk about the hazards and the causes of the fires. Um, one of the big hazards around lithium ion fires are the thermal runway events where batteries overheat and create flammable and toxic gases. There's also the potential for an explosion. An example of this occurred in Surprise, Arizona back in 2019, where eight firefighters were critically injured after the battery container reached its lower explosive limit and found an um, ignition source. It can also catch fire, which is more of a chemical reaction than a traditional fire, in the sense that the battery doesn't need oxygen to burn, it creates its own oxygen as a byproduct. And um, because you can't starve the fire of oxygen, um, these fires can reignite days later. Um, there's really no way to extinguish them. They're left to burn themselves out. And these fires run as hot as 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit. At this point, no metal container is fireproof. Um, there are reasons for the thermal events. Number one is the temperature gets too hot. 
Um, the two manufacturers that are being considered for Vacaville is Fluence and Poen. The Fluence upper limit is 113 degrees. Poen is 122 degrees. Now in Vacaville, that's, that's not um, that much hotter than our temperature can get in the summer. Um, number two reason is the battery can get overcharged, it can get charged too rapidly, or there's a power surge. Um, another reason is it could be an external damage to the battery um, or internal fault of the battery itself. Also environmental impacts such as temperature extremes, water, earthquakes, even rodents eating the wiring can cause a fire. In researching past fires at these facilities, um, here are some causes of those. September 4th, 2021, Moss Landing, a faulty smoke detector went off and sprayed water on the battery racks, causing short circuits and a fire. September 2023, Moss Landing, a vent shield had been incorrectly installed and water entered. Um, April 2022 in Valley Center, a small electrical failure triggered a smoke detector. June 2023 in Warwick, New York, water seepage into the battery containers during a rainstorm resulted in an electrical short. This was the Poen system I've spoke about in the past. Um, in July of this year in Chaumont, New York, the cause was mechanical error. September 2023 in Australia, the cooling system leaked. So in short, these batteries are very volatile. They can catch fire or explode for various reasons, and they can be dangerous for first responders and certainly don't belong in populated areas. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening. Good evening. I'm Berenger, Vacaville, California, Mills Lane. Okay, um, I kind of want to talk about the amount of battery storage projects that are going on in Vacaville. You've got Menards. Um, on the other side of 80, you've got Corby's. Corby's, um, I know it's an incorporated area, okay, but it's about a mile and a half from the Menards station. You've also got um, investors on the PG&E side of Mills Lane, if you folks are familiar with Mills Lane, so if you're driving down on the right-hand side, PG&E's on the right. All the folks on that side are getting letters from investors wanting to buy portion or all of their property for battery storage projects, okay? So it seems like there's a monopoly of battery storage projects that are wanting to be brought to Vacaville. So what is it that everybody wants? The city council, the unincorporated's not here. I know they really can't speak. Do you want Vacaville to be known to be the biggest and largest battery storage system in California? Because, I mean, or do you want it to be full of fabulous folks that you honor tonight, okay? You're building within a mile of the Menards. There's 4,000 homes and businesses within a mile. If you put three occupants in each one of those homes and or businesses, 12 thousand people and that's a minimal within a mile corby's not going to be that much further and if the folks on the right side of mills lane start selling their property what do you folks want please quit building houses if you're going to be putting battery storage out because it's unsafe so what do you want do you want battery storage or do you want folks who live here not 20 years of revenue but 40 years, 
50 years of revenue. Um, I would also like, I know on your website, you have a link to Menards for the questions and the answers. We have a group that's called keepbackavillesafe.com. I would like a link put on the city council website to that site also, so that when people click on Menards, they have the opportunity to click on Keep Backaville Safe because all it is is, is incidents of fires that these batteries cause. It, it's, it's bad, guys. It's really bad. But on a good note, what I want to say is that I wish all of you I wish whatever God you believe in blesses you and your family on this Thanksgiving. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening, Mayor, Vice Mayor, Council Members. I really want to hone in on the environmental portion of this battery storage facility. The whole purpose and intent is we're going to green energy. However, before we dive right into something that may not help the environment. As my Keep Vacaville Safe group has stated over and over and over, these facilities are burning within six months of being built or a year of being built. They haven't had the time to be developed where we can actually study in five years. Is there leaching? In five years, is it contaminating our soil? And yet we're planning on putting Menard, excuse me, Menard wants to put it there for 20 years, but we don't know what is the break point. Could we be creating another environmental disaster with trying to help the environment? I say let's tread cautiously. Yes, we need to find solutions to help climate change. However, let's just not jump at the first opportunity that something hasn't been well-developed, well-established, and well-researched. To piggyback off of what Pam said, Vacaville, every time, I'm learning new things every time I come to these meetings about my neighbors and the businesses we run. This kind of community is cherished to be, make it industrialized and open the door for one battery. That's why all these other people are coming and investors because we've opened the door to just one. So I implore you to not extend the agreement. To if we're really taking environmental seriously, we need to do our research before we just open the door to anybody and then put a safety hazard next to a bunch of homes. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening. Good evening. Am I here? No. Mayor, Council, thank you, citizens. Uh, my name is Brian Nolette. I'm also here with Keep Back Evil Safe. Um, I want to bring a more personal perspective to this than um, I think Sarah did a wonderful job about talking about the, the hazards and the risks, which I will touch on for a minute. But um, two years ago, we bought our perfect little piece of property on Mills Lane, um, which happens to be about a third of a mile from where this site's going to be going in. Um, extremely close. Um, we've talked about fire danger. We've talked about um, risks, hazards, groundwater, all that stuff. But uh, the noise alone, uh, these guys talk about, I was at the, the, the big city meeting uh, about the project and they're talking about how each of these fans produces 69 decibels. Um, when you've got hundreds of these fans running at one time, I'm gonna hear this constant drone from my house. Yeah, I live near a freeway, but that was there when I bought the property. That was, that was a known. 
that you guys want to drop this, this plant, this facility that just constantly emits noise. So when I'm drinking my coffee in the morning, watching my chickens and my horses in the backyard, now I've got to listen to these fans drone on and on and on. And I beg you guys not to do this. Um, but speaking really quickly to the fire hazard, um, that's an old water treatment facility. They're going to build it in a basin. And these things, if they get wet, they catch fire. So what happens if the drainage fails? What happens um, if they can't get the water out of that old basin that was designed to hold water? Does that flood? Does it catch on fire? I mean, I, I don't think it's very well thought through. I, I, I understand the need for progress, and I'm not against battery storage. I just bought an electric car. I think it's a it's great path forward. Um, but where you guys, where this planned project is going to be does not make sense. Again, surrounded by thousands of new homes, and then you have us, existing homes. At least the new home buyers will have an option to not buy a house there, knowing a battery storage project's there. I don't have that option. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be dropped in right next to my property, perhaps affecting my property values, my safety. Uh, and if there's fires, I mean, how do we get the horses out? How do we get our chickens out? I mean, they're going to be exposed to toxic smoke. I mean, we don't have an option to not live there. Um, sort of moving out and maybe selling the property for a loss, I, I don't know. But I don't think it's fair to the citizens that already live there um, that have our little piece of heaven that's going to be um, affected by this, pro uh, this project. Anyway, thank you very much. Have a good evening. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to speak to you tonight. In an October 20th article, the Telegraph stated that electric cars are at risk of becoming uninsurable. The London Brigade warned that fires involving lithium-ion batteries are the fastest-growing fire risk in London after 87 e-bike and 29 e-scooter fires in 2022. Paris transport operator withdrew 149 electric buses from operation last year after two ignited. All it takes is for one cell to fail to cause thermal runaway and then get a cascading event. According to the United Firefighters Union of Australia, National, Secure, National Secretary Greg McConville, best fires release an array of deadly toxins, including carbon monoxide, hydrogen cyanide, and hydrogen fluoride. These toxins are especially dangerous to firefighters because they are dermally absorbed through the skin, and no per personal protection clothing can protect you against it. Carbon monoxide and hydrogen cyanide are known as the terrible twins. They both prevent the body using oxygen, and cyanide affects organs that rely on high levels of oxygen, such as the heart and the brain. This may be why New York State Sen Senator Mark Walchkick is asking for a pause on all projects involving lithium-ion battery storage. He says that the reactions can be odorless, tasteless, and deadly. If Menard is allowed to build this battery facility, both our first responders and community would be put at risk. As more of these best systems catch fire, insurance companies will be very likely to either greatly increase the cost of insurance or refuse to in insure properties. It is not known how far from the facility this would affect, possibly a large part of Vacaville and the surrounding country properties. Could this result in many fire cells in which people sell their property at a, mu at a cost much less than the value? 
I would suggest that the city not accept any proposals that Menard give you and that you do not grant them any extensions. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Good evening. Good evening. Hi, Mayor Carley, City Council, and uh, City staff. It's me, Frank Nelstone again. And today I'm here to speak on the importance and urgency of deploying the state's cannabis equity grant program alongside Vacaville's cannabis business program. Normally, I would start speaking on the benefits of and success metrics and maybe some data findings that I found on why every cannabis market needs one of these. But today, I need to stress the urgency and the urgency of Vacaville actually taking this opportunity to put in the application to receive this California State Equity Grant before December 14th. If we ever truly plan to deploy a cannabis program in the near future. This singular move would allow the city to align with its vision of always supporting our small business owners, our marginalized communities, and our local Vacaville business economy, while at the same time providing grant funding for our new cannabis programs and its applicants. Not applying for this grant will inevitably re result in large external players and conglomerates coming into our city, vying for the small amount of permits that are available through shady and predatory business deals like permit and license flipping or ownership takeovers, which has been documented to occur in every single cannabis market that did not deploy uh, a equity grant program attached within California. This program would also allow allow us to help and safeguard the ownership rights of small business owners and allow small companies who don't have an eight-figure war chest to actually have a chance to compete for the permit and rights to operate within their own city. City Council, we have a duty to our city and to our residents, the ones that are heard and the communities that are overlooked, to not only deploy a cannabis program for them, but to deploy it with the right intentions and correct measures for this project to truly make impact that we intend for our city. Applying for this grant doesn't also ease the burden on Vacaville's general fund. It also helps shape the culture and heart of our city for years to come. So I urgently ask you guys, city council and city staff, to please connect uh, here and, well, sorry, please connect together and uh, give the green light to apply for this state equity grant before December 14th. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening. Good evening. My name is Denise Bunter and I am here to voice opposition to the Menard Battery Storage Facility up for consideration. Before any of these facilities should be considered in our town, there should be specific rules, regulations regarding their location in regard to population and facilities, their safety regulations, specific training for first aid responders, and overall zoning rules to protect our entire community. This should have all been done long before we were at this stage. By the end of third quarter 2023, Menard has built more of these facilities than in all of 2022. Their numbers are up tenfold since 2019. We do not need to support the rapid growth of these facilities before the proper safety steps are considered and planned for. Why would we possibly consider putting this risky facility between our major interstates, so close to homes, a hospital and a college campus? I live within four miles of the proposed facility, less than two actually, I need to know how my well water will be protected when runoff from a fire occurs, because it will occur. My neighbors and I don't have the ability to switch over to city water should something happen. I need to know my child will not be breathing in toxic chemicals when a fire occurs. I need to know that the investment in our home that my husband and I have worked so hard for will not plummet because we now have to disclose that we live near a battery hazard site. 
I need to know that you care for the first responders of the city who take great care of us and that you will not put them in harm's way just to sell some land and make a few more tax dollars. And lastly, I need to know how the city would communicate pertinent information to the people who live close by. I can say that so far the communication has been sorely lacking. I read on the city website that mailers went out about this to 1,700 homes regarding the issue. I never received one, live less than two miles away from it. I only found out about it because of a concerned citizen who was trying to get the word out. I implore the city to not negotiate with Menard for this location. Do not put such an obvious hazard in our laps while at the same time telling us, the citizens of Vacaville, that you care about us. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Good evening. Good evening, Council, uh, Mayor. Uh, my name is Gene Gordy, and I'm here with the same problem that I had before. I haven't heard from anybody. I can't get any response from any of the uh, representatives. Uh, one that was here earlier flat said no to me. He won't help me. And I don't know what's going on, and I need a new council or somebody that, that'll get me that information or tell me why I'm uh, under this subject to this uh, problem. I can't get no help or no. Or could you provide your information to our city clerk so that you can be contacted? That the name and phone, your name and phone number, so that somebody of the city can contact you. I can do that. To the clerk. All right. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Steve Ferrer. I'll keep this short and hopefully do something different than what's already been said. As we found out during the meeting a short time ago, if passed, this will be Menard's first large-scale facility. This will also be Menard's first facility in Solano County, obviously. Since that meeting, we've also learned of a second battery facility proposed to go into approximately a mile and a half away. This company, Next Era Corby, will also, if approved, be the establishment the establishing their first battery facility. Both installations are dangerously close to a main emergency room trauma center, hospital, elderly housing, and both main arteries in case of or traffic arteries in case of evacuations are needed. As learned from the previous Menard meeting, if something happens to one of these facilities, the fire department's only recourse is to seal off the exterior of the property and let it burn for 22 hours, billowing dangerous and caustic chemicals into our air. Both facilities will be unmanned. There will be watched over from far, far away remotely. The problem with that is if there's a large-scale fire and explosion and their communication lines go down, there is no monitoring of that system of their facilities. Several cities and states have placed moratoriums and outright banned these unmanned battery storage facilities outright. The proposed locations for both of these sites is nothing more than a recipe for disaster. Both of these untested companies playing with dangerous technology want to use Solano County and the city of Vacaville as their testing grounds. I implore the I implore you guys to keep us safe and tell these companies that both the residents of Vacaville and the residents of Solano County are not to be guinea pigs for to help some company get rich. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Good evening. Good evening, Mr. Mayor, Council. Uh, I'd like to lead off with, I hope you all are as impressed as I am with the knowledge 
and homework the previous witnesses have discussed regarding the lithium battery storage. I would take it to heart. <clears throat> There's also a, a moral hazard I brought up once before, and I'd like to reiterate it for the record, is uh, I know it's a current thing. It went from 1975. We were going to be entering the ice age. If some of you have been around long enough, no offense to recall that. So the current thing is this global warming, and a lot of things are occurring. A lot of money is changing hands. And as I mentioned before, there is no lithium battery recycling technology to date, nor is there technology for recycling the windmills. They have to be buried at the end of their lifespan, which is about 20 years for the windmills. They have to be buried in a hazardous waste site. The other part of the moral hazard is, is in the Congo, this stuff, most of it, not all of it, is being mined by people with their hands. It's toxic to mine, they're, and they're, there's no concern for them, mostly in the Congo. There's other sites throughout the world. I really, I have a lot of, a lot of confidence that none of you would, would approve of technology that relies on virtually slave labor and child labor. So even, even if this technology was working, which it's not, that moral concern there should be addressed. And being you are the kind of people that you are, I know that you'll address that and take it to heart. I'm sure there's not enough money to, uh, to cause you to sway in favor of that and against the people that are doing this mining. That's all. Thank you. Good evening. Good evening again. Um, everyone else has spoken about the battery plant, so I think that uh, that point for now has been made. I would like to take a few minutes to bring up something that at first you're going to say isn't within the council's purview, but in fact it is, because last week at the county water agency meeting, Vice Mayor Wiley was there, and she thankfully voted with the majority to dis discontinue discussions with Flannery about water usage through the county. However, Flannery has made it very clear that they're going to get the county zoning down in that area changed, and they, they have billions of dollars behind them for advertising. Anything they do over there is going to adversely affect Vacaville and every other city in the county. All I'm asking, and I have, frankly, looking at the billions of dollars that they have behind them, I very much wonder how you ladies and gentlemen can do this, but yourselves in conjunction with the other city councils and the county supervisors need to educate us citizens of the county about the lies that Flannery is going to tell when they start trying to get their petition signed and then get their uh, item on the ballot in order to change the county zoning in that area because that's just going to be one more brick they need in order to move their project forward. And I guarantee you, this is a vanity project for these multi-billionaires. They're going, you know, they may not even waste their time trying to influence any of the local politicians. 
they'll just go up to Sacramento and start, you know, spreading cash around. Those people can be bought pretty cheaply. I am just imploring you to please make a concerted effort with the other elected persons throughout the county, somehow, some way, try to get through, you know, start early because Flannery's got a whole lot of money to spend on advertising and a whole lot of people they can influence. You need to get the word out to the citizenry early so that hopefully they won't be able to get the county citizens to vote in favor of, of changing the zoning. Not that that's going to stop Flannery in their tracks, but at least it's one more little roadblock we can put in their way. Thank you. Thank you. Stockton, I wasn't planning on speaking, but after hearing um, some of the other people speak, I'm really concerned because we are uninformed in Leisure Town. I heard a woman speak that 1,700 flyers went out. Leisure Town received nothing that I'm aware of. And I've heard a lot of people speak about houses and, you know, their well water and all those things. But what about the volatile seniors that live in Maplewood and in Leisure Town that have um, respiratory issues? So I'm, I know the council will do um, its due diligence, but I just, I'm, I'm here mainly to speak for the seniors and for our first responders because they help us a lot in Leisure Town. We don't need anything to happen to them. We need them desperately. They do a great job out there in Leisure Town. I'm just asking while you guys are um, doing your research and getting your reports back from staff that it's, you would consider um, some type of meeting or information for the seniors of Leisure Town. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Hello, my name is Kevin Pewitt. I'm delivering a letter, hand delivering a letter to the council and, the, and you, the mayor. Um, and now I'll read the, uh, the letter that I've written to you. This letter is in reference to the villages at Vanden Meadows Unit 1B housing plan. On September 19, 2023, the Planning Commission exceeded their authority when they approved the villages at Vanden Meadows Unit 1B housing plans. The plans allow the developer, developer to convert the 16.4-acre RL6 residential low-density zoned housing development to a high-density, for-rent, 162-housing-unit complex development. The Planning Commission does not have the authority to rezone neighborhoods. The builder intends to combine 84 RL6 residential low-density zoned lots into a single, prop single property high-density housing complex comprised of 162 housing units and a recreation and leasing building and outdoor amenities for the residents. The recreation and leasing building will include a recreation room, kitchen, leasing office, and maintenance and equipment space. The builder claims they are building houses with ADUs. According to California government code, ADUs only apply to single lot properties that are sold separately. These codes 
These codes do not apply to consolidated lot properties and low density neighborhoods. By maintaining the 16.4 acres as a single property, the ADU California government codes are invalid. The property becomes a high density for rent, 162 housing unit complex development. I respectfully request that the backfill mayor and the city council take action to correct this invalid planning commission approval of the villages at Vanden Meadows unit 1B housing plans. The developer needs to be notified that they do not have approval to build on the site as planned. The developer also needs to be notified that they must completely restart their approval process, which must include the approval of the Vacaville mayor and city council in the process. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. If you could uh, hand that, yes. Okay. Thank you. Seeing anyone, no one else, I'm gonna go ahead and close business from the floor and uh, move on. I see that we have no public hearings. We have one business item, Mr. City Manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, Vice Mayor, members of the City Council. This uh, next item is a resolution of the City Council approving the acceptance and appropriation budget uh, for the this fiscal year related to our um, California Board of State and Community Corrections Organized Retail Theft Prevention Grant Award. Uh, we have Chief Smutchler and team here to make a presentation on the receiving of this particular grant and how it will be used. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. City Manager, uh, Mr. Mayor, Vice Mayor, uh, members of the council, thank you so much for, uh, for having us tonight. I'm uh, pleased to be in front of you with um, a council item uh, related to our uh, Bureau of State and Community Corrections uh, um, grant related to organized retail theft prevention. Uh, the state granted us uh, just over $4.4 million. And to talk about the acceptance of the grant, uh, as well as the um, intended uses of the grant. We have our team here, including uh, from the Vacaville Police Department, Captain Chris Polin and Lieutenant Aaron Dahl, and from 911 Consulting, uh, Mr. Jamie Hudson. And I'll turn it over to the team now. Thank you, Chief. Uh, good evening, Mr. Mayor, Ms. Vice Mayor, Council, staff, and Vacaville community. Uh, this is a pretty exciting time for the city of Vacaville, Vacaville Police Department. and. Uh, with this BSCC grant that uh, has been awarded to the city and if uh, approved to accept for the, by uh, council, this is going to afford the opportunity for Vacaville to really leverage technology moving forward uh, in policing, in community safety, quality of life. And so uh, I'd like to go over a little bit of what uh, has already transpired with you guys as a reminder and what a real-time information center is and the value that that brings to a community uh, and has brought to other communities around the country. Uh, I am uh, the CEO of IXI Group, 911 Group, training and consulting. Uh, I'm also a real-time information center manager at the Elk Grove Police Department, uh, the city's emergency manager, and a founding board member and advisory board member currently for the National Real-Time Crime Center Association. So on June 27, 2023, as you guys will remember, uh, council unanimously approved the submission uh, to essentially apply for the grant. 
there were two levels to apply for, one that capped off around $6 million and one for large agency, large projects that went up to $16 million. And it was decided to apply for the smaller of the two uh, because that was what fit the city of Vacaville and the needs of the Vacaville Police Department at the time. On September 14th, 2023, the BSCC announced the uh, proposed awards and Vacaville was one of 35, I'm sorry, 38 agencies within the state, uh, both police departments and sheriff's offices uh, that were uh, receiving awards from ranging from 600,000 all the way up to uh, $16 million. Vacaville was awarded 4.432 million and the total available was 242.25 million across the state. It's important to note and, and a, um, a testament to your team here at the Vacaville Police Department that there were over 80 applicants, 80 applicant agencies for these awards and they were one of 38 that received that award. And so uh, the application and the content of that application resonated with the BSCC uh, group that reviewed and approved and recommended these awards. Finally, a uh, fully executed agreement was uh, signed and received October 11th, 2023. So moving into what a real-time information center is. And uh, in my introduction, I told you I'm part of the National Real-Time Crime Center Association. Uh, it is synonymous, that real-time crime center with real-time information center, real-time watch center. Uh, so for the purposes of this presentation, real-time information center, that's what the Vacaville Police Department has uh, elected to uh, build and to try to run uh, for various reasons, which I'll go over here. So I'll refer to it as an Arctic real-time information center. So essentially to begin with, the purpose is to provide overwatch. And that really is to protect the safety of the officers, the community, and anyone else that's coming through uh, the city of Vacaville at any given time. And overwatch is accomplished with uh, cameras that are up on traffic intersections. So now uh, for anybody in this meeting, when you drive away or, or driving tomorrow, you look up in those intersections, you're going to see cameras. And that's not just in the city of Vacaville. Uh, there's cameras in, in intersections throughout most cities for traffic monitoring purposes, for uh, policing purposes, et cetera. They are overt, not covert. You can see them on the intersections as you drive through. So just as an example of what this can be, if you have a, a, a live operator, using a live pan tilt zoom camera. So you see this, uh, this instance here on the right. Uh, imagine driving down a street that you're driving 45 or above miles per hour and you pass somebody and you think you just saw that person with a gun in their hand and you call the police department and you're telling the police department, this guy has a gun in his hand. So as officers are responding to this, they, are looking at what you're seeing right here, which is a, a man reaching into his waistband and pulling out what a real-time information center operator has clearly identified in the moment as a hammer, not a gun. A real-time information center operator is able to broadcast that out to the officer that's arriving on scene. There is a hammer pulled out of the waistband. Now, if you can imagine the ending of similar events like this throughout time uh, with police work, that officer that's pulling up they have no idea what this person's pulling out of their waistband, but we do because of the live cameras that we're able to use. And so this provides not just safety for that officer, safety for that young man that's walking on the street as well. And so that's really what the purpose is, is to leverage technology that already exists to enhance the safety 
of the community and the officers that are policing your, your jurisdiction. Also, we focus on resource allocation, and this is a pretty big uh, thing in law enforcement, right? We don't wanna send too many units or not enough units to calls for service. We wanna be able to handle everything appropriately without being excessive in our response or lacking uh, in that response. So what this allows us to do, what you're seeing here is an example of a car meet. So groups that are car enthusiasts want to have car meets, and then groups that have more nefarious thoughts to do street takeovers, to do uh, sideshow activity, will attach to these car meets. And so what a real-time information center allows you to do is have video. This one, what you're seeing here is drone video, police drone video that is up above this shopping center. You see that there's hundreds of cars, hundreds of people. And as this event unfolds, every officer that's assigned to this is on the periphery of this shopping center. They're not inside the shopping center parking lot. They're on the periphery. They're allowing technology to view what's going on. If there is illegal activity that occurs, they're going to wait until that person, depending on the type of illegal activity, uh, they're gonna wait for that person to leave the area and then we will follow them and then effect a traffic stop in a safer location and if necessary, tow the vehicle or make an arrest or uh, issue a citation. What this technology allows us to do, not only, again, enhance the safety of the officers and the citizens, but it allows us to not have uniformed officers in crowds of people that have yet to actually have anything illegal happen. So if you imagine all of the festivals, things like that, that are not crime related, that occur uh, in a city and in a jurisdiction, this type of overwatch ensures that those festivals are pulled off safely, and if necessary, then a real-time information center can provide actionable intelligence in the moment to help mitigate that call as necessary. So the next piece, and this is a new and growing piece within the real-time center community, and this is public-private partnerships with businesses, with schools, with hospitals, uh, with churches, to allow the real-time information center to ingest video, obviously voluntarily from those businesses, churches, hospitals, schools, into the real-time information center from camera systems that those businesses currently own. They don't have to buy into any programs. They are willing to share their video. Now there's Fourth Amendment things to consider, and so there are uh, signage and et cetera that you'd want to uh, have out to ensure that if I'm going into one of your businesses that, have, that are sharing video potentially with the police, I know that there is video being shared, right? I get to make that decision if I go in. But what this allows us to do is have access potentially to hundreds if not thousands of available video cameras for in the moment real-time intelligence. And where this is important is imagine that you have a church that is in this program. Imagine during that service at the church, there's an active shooter situation that starts to occur. The police department is called, a real-time information center can access the cameras at that church instantly and guide units and resources into that in the moment. That can also be turned off at any time by the contributor, right? So if a business decides, I don't feel like providing this, then they don't have to. So it's just an idea that that is, again, it's emerging in the industry, in the real-time center industry, and what it does is it gives agencies access to many points of video intelligence that we don't have to spend taxpayer money to go and access. And so that's relatively important to us 
and helps us get more access to those videos. So a real-time information center also helps you and allows you to develop an intelligence-led policing program. And intelligence-led policing, uh, it's not new to the industry, it's just newly uh, defined, right, and, and newly labeled. But ultimately, we want to police through patterned activity, through facts, through data, and then run out and help the community with what's occurring today. So if catalytic converter theft is, is what is occurring today, and we can pattern that, and we can develop actionable intelligence to be able to have our officers go out and enforce laws and look for specific people, that's intelligence-led policing. So gone are the days where we kind of know what's happening, and if we get lucky, we're going to come across it. Here are the days of this part of the city is seeing this on Thursday nights between 1 a.m. and 3 a.m., and we believe that they're coming in through this particular area to get here. Here are the cars we're looking for. Here are the types of people we're looking for, et cetera. So that's what this is about. Real-time information centers gather all of that intelligence and information, put it together, and then disseminate that within the police department to have teams of officers and or non-sworn officers working on those calls. It's not all crime. Sometimes it's traffic-related. You know, sometimes it's folks uh, parking, double parking in front of school zones, and maybe that's the the thing that's occurring right now, this allows focus on a police department's tasks. And so that's something that'll be brought uh, as well. Something that you likely have heard about is, is drone usage in police work. And uh, I like to pause on this one just to, just to make sure that I recognize that we talk about video, we talk about surveillance, we talk about drones, we talk about police drone video, we talk about license plate reader technologies. All of these things must be used ethically. They must be regulated by departments that use them, similar to regulations that cover personal identifiable information. We can run folks to see if they have valid driver's licenses, if they have uh, cars registered to them, et cetera. We rely on our police departments to, to be ethical in their use of technology and their approach to technology. This is no different. So I wanna make sure that I, that I recognize the gravity of this type of technology in the sense that can you be big brother? Absolutely, but you should have regulations and you should hire people who are ethical and have integrity so that you know that these things are being used the proper way. So drones uh, response it right now, there is a, a movement and something that's called drone as a first responder. So let me walk you through use of a drone as a first responder program and some of the technologies that you would have in a real-time information center to give you an idea of what this would be. If your 911 dispatch center is taking a call of a hit and run, uh, no injuries, a hit and run call, typically uh, they will take two to three minutes to extract that information from the reporting party and then put a call for service in and depending on available resources, depending on prioritization of calls, either it will be dispatched immediately or it will hold until it can be dispatched. So imagine as that call's coming in, through technology uh, such as Live 911, the real-time information center is hearing that call being taken by the dispatcher in real time. They get the location, they get the vehicle description of the suspect. Drone as a first responder program launches and is en route to that location. Real-time information center employees have access to live cameras. If there's one in the area, they are operating those cameras long before the call for service is entered into the CAD system, long before your officers know there is a need to respond. 
By the time that call is entered into the CAD system, either you will have a drone on scene or shortly thereafter, you'll have real-time information center operators, operators virtually on scene with a camera, and more often than not, we already have eyes on the suspect vehicle by the time that call is dispatched. So again, gone are the days of having to throw 10 officers out hoping to find a vehicle. Here are the days where we can dispatch an appropriate amount of resources to intercept the vehicle we've already found, and that is ensuring more safety for the community and for those officers responding. A quick summary of, of some uh, statistics on this, and, and statistics are, they're always important to me because statistics are facts, right? And so data is, is how we really drive what we do in policing now. So this is the Chula Vista Police Department. They are uh, widely known as the first agency to have drone as a first responder program. They've been in, in action for about five years now. So this data is all encompassing. So when you see that they've responded to 17,000 calls, that is a five-year response for that. But a couple things stand out that are, that are relatively important on this. One, you'll see the number on the right-hand column that says DFR deployment avoided dispatching a patrol unit. That means 4,000, just over 4,000 calls for service were able to be cleared without having to use a police unit response on a ground level response, meaning whatever was reported is either unfounded or doesn't, it's not there anymore. So now those are 4,000 calls over a five-year period that we don't have to send an officer to. The other one that stands out is the drone as a first responder on scene first number. That's directly underneath the last one I pointed out. So in 17,000 calls, 13,000 times the drone got there first. And so now you have actionable video intelligence before your ground officers are on scene. And what a real-time information center can do is take that drone video and disseminate it to your 911 center. So your dispatchers are watching this as it happens disseminate it potentially to your responders, to your sergeants, to your watch commanders, to your executive staff, depending on the event. So uh, there are definite uh, advantages to a drone as a first responder program. Uh, it is a way that we're getting actionable intelligence in real time for calls for service. It is a fast response uh, and it's something that's, that's emerging. Now, some, some other statistics, and oftentimes I'm asked, you know, what's the efficacy of a real-time information center? How are you driving, you know, the crime rates down? How, how does this technology lower what we're seeing in our city, right? The, the hard part is real-time information centers are still being defined. And so while we can attribute crime reduction to certain technologies, to certain staffing levels, et cetera, we really have to go city by city. And so I put one example here, which is Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, they have a great real-time crime center. What's important to that city to report on is what you see up here, right? So what's one thing that's important to them right in the center? Recovered guns. That's an important piece of data that they want to recover. And so my, uh, my recommendation to the Vacaville Police Department is as soon as you start real-time information center operations, you understand what it is you want to be looking for data-wise in statistics and uh, measurements, goals. So uh, in 2019, Rand Corporation did a study on real-time crime centers, and this is four years ago. Four years in the technology world is a huge thing, right? So uh, it's one of the only studies that's been done that was uh, pretty comprehensive. They identified a three to 17% crime reduction in cities that had real-time crime centers. I would not sit here and tell you that you should expect three to 
because of a four-year gap in that study and different data points that may be collected to study that, I find that it's more appropriate for Vacaville to identify what you're looking for and then report back on that after a year or two to see the efficacy of that measurement and that tool. So real quick, just four uh, examples of where real-time information centers can be used. So in a homicide, typically what will happen is we'll get a, a report of a shooting, turns into a homicide, investigators, detectives respond on scene. At some point after their response and they're on scene, they're going to look at or request video to see if video is available either by the business, if it happened at a business, or through traffic cameras, et cetera. So now what happens is we're working when the shooting comes in, we're on the video cameras as it happens, and we're reporting on the location of those vehicles in real time. If your real-time information center isn't staffed, there's ways that you can access those camera feeds so that you don't have to wait two or three hours to get that actionable intelligence. You can still get that within minutes to look at these cameras and have somebody operating those. Uh, we've had that success and we continue to have that success when that happens. Fatal hit and run collision. You, you read about these all the time, unfortunately, but something that occurs overnight in an area where there's not a lot of traffic, not a lot of people uh, coming by, vehicle accident happens. Uh, in this instance, we have a, a car around five in the morning that hits and kills a pedestrian and drives off. There is no identifiable debris left behind. There are no witnesses. There is nothing to work on except the unfortunate individual in the street who, who was killed by this car. So when this happens, and this has happened in, in my jurisdiction twice now uh, with the real-time center, we're able to access traffic cameras. So those are the ones, again, on the intersections. Find a vehicle that has very obvious and clear damage that looks like it just hit a person. Then we're able to use license plate reader technology to query that time period to see if we can come up with an identifiable license plate on that car. Once we have that, then we can use intelligence to learn who this person may be and where they may be going. In this situation, we found the car within 30 minutes before it could be stored, before it could be destroyed, before it could move out of the area, and we're able to effect an arrest. And that's on a hit and run where there was no witnesses and no identifiable debris. This is the type of stuff that a real-time center can help the community with, can close cases. Retail theft, that's, I mean, that's the reason why we applied uh, with Vacaville for this grant, right, is organized retail theft. Retail theft is a big problem, not just in our state, but across the country. If we know that there are people who uh, have a propensity to come to Vacaville to commit retail theft, then those folks can be identified, vehicles associated with them can be identified, and those can be entered into a what's called a local hot list with your license plate reader program, which uh, currently is Flock Safety uh, in, in the city of Vacaville. And any time one of those vehicles enters the city, your officers and your dispatchers and your real-time information center employees can get an alert that says, this car has been known to be associated with thefts from insert business here, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that that car can be pulled over right now, but it's actionable intelligence. It's so that your officers understand this car is in town. They've hit all these stores. That in itself is community protection, quality of life, right? And so. Uh, not a lot of people think retail theft is a big deal to them, but it is. If you're the one that's inside that store when this occurs, 
and may be the unfortunate victim of somebody pushing past you, knocking you over, or doing other things uh, on their way out. The last one is a missing endangered person. I mentioned quality of life. Uh, Real-time information centers are not just crime centers. We're here for quality of life policing. In this case, this is a, a missing uh, endangered individual who is autistic and nonverbal. And our real-time information center employees found him on camera. Now, we have several people out looking for him, doing grid searches, looking at everything. He does not get hit here. I want to point that out because it looks uh, different because of the angle of the camera. But we're able to, in the middle of the night, follow this young man uh, until we have an officer that can make contact with him. And so we're able to provide safety for him, virtual safety, but safety for him until we can go and reunite him with his family. And so these are the types of things where, uh, where you can understand that technology has benefit for community safety and quality of life. And this is just one of those examples where, where we have that. Finally, and this is one of the most significant <laughs> pieces of uh, real-time center and the changes to law enforcement. If we are looking for a black pickup truck associated with a crime, then we can find black pickup trucks all day long, right? If you look out on the street tonight as you're on your way home, you're gonna see several black pickup trucks. If we know a license plate or a partial license plate or stickers that are in the window or a driver description, et cetera, now this technology is allowing us to provide precision policing. We can confirm that that's the black pickup truck that we're looking for because we can zoom in on the plate or again on the sticker in the window or the driver and see that's the one we're looking for. And so now we don't have to pull over people who may be associated, we're pulling over the people who are associated. And so in this case and in this scenario, you know, we're able to, as a real-time center, follow a vehicle that we've confirmed as the vehicle that was responsible in this particular crime, follow it into a location, all the while broadcasting this, so on the radio, but also we're sending the video again into the 911 dispatch center, into the watch commander's offices, whoever is needing it will see this. And then they're able to make the determination that we're not gonna contact this person in the gas station. Too many people there, it would be safer for us to contact them once they leave the gas station. So this car ultimately will leave this gas station and will be pulled over in a very safe manner. Safer than if we had to go into the gas station at the time and pull it over there. And so this technology, again, it allows us to have a precision policing method. So we know these are the people that are associated with this crime. We, it's, not, it's no longer the, we think they're associated with this crime. And it allows us to give our officers who are responding actionable intelligence, which you, you, you can see that's a theme here, to be able to affect safe contacts with individuals, even safer for the suspect in this crime, because now he's not or she's not in the middle of a business, in the middle of uh, a parking lot that may not be the safest place for either of them to do. So as you can see, this is well-coordinated. This video is obviously much longer. It was edited for this, but uh, well-coordinated response, but it gives you an idea of how we can find, confirm that this is the person we're looking for and then take action on that. So some other uses for real-time information centers, and these are pretty important. Uh, this is a picture from the LNU complex fire uh, that affected you guys here. As the emergency manager for the city, 
We've used the Real-Time Information Center for many uses that are not crime-related, that are community safety-related. Evacuations are one of them. We evacuated parts of our city on uh, New Year's Eve because of flooding, levee breaks, et cetera, this year. We were able to utilize our traffic camera system to make sure that our, our evacuation routes were clear, make sure that cars are able to move on these routes. And so anytime there's an evacuation, we tell people, hey, this is where you should go. How do you know that that, that avenue is clear? Well, the only other way to do that without technology is to deploy multiple resources just to do that task. Well, we may need them to do other tasks, to do actual evacuations at home. So we're, we can now rely on technology to say this evacuation, this egress route is clear and safe, and this is what we're doing with that. Storm and flood monitoring. Now, this is where uh, in my, I've been in this business 31 years. I started at the Susun City Police Department as a dispatcher. And from that point until the day I left the dispatch center, about 28 years later, every time we had a significant local event, council wanted to know, wanted to be informed what's happening, what's going on, what's the current update and the status of the city for their constituents. City management, the same. The chief, the same, right? Well, now we can do stuff like this where we can put information. We can put radar systems. We can put traffic cameras that are above, say, intersections that are commonly flooded. And then we can broadcast this. And because it's not confidential, we can broadcast it right over YouTube so that city council, so that anybody else can see that and understand what the status of the city is right now as it relates to something as what we say is as simple as a storm, but not always that simple, right? So this is information and intelligence that they can get. It doesn't mean that you won't have further questions that you'll need answered by uh, those on city staff, but it might do what you need it to do to answer that question that your constituent is calling you, asking you about at that time. Uh, and you don't have to be in Vacaville to run this, right? So uh, our center during the tropical storm that came through Southern California a couple months ago recreated this and, and we uh, streamed it down to Palm Springs and they used it for themselves. So this is a technology that is not just useful here, right? It's useful everywhere. And if you're not affected by the storm, you know, it's no, it can't be any easier to, to get that and do it. Final piece here is real-time information centers are becoming communications hubs for not just the police department, but for the city as well. And so you're consolidating intelligence, you're consolidating information, you're consolidating communication, and now you're creating efficiencies within the organization, efficiencies in responses, efficiencies in dissemination of information. This type of technology needs people, needs good people that can take information through an intelligence cycle and determine if it's intelligence or just information. They can create uh, communication pieces that can be digested by the demographic you're hoping to digest it, right? And so you need people that can analyze certain things and to do that. But these centers allow for that. What these operators are not having to do, they're not having to answer 911 calls and work these cameras. They're not having to be an officer who is more useful out on the street than they are in this moment behind this desk. And so this is really taking police work and changing it. And, and what it is, in very simple terms, we're leveraging technology to create a more efficient and safe response to calls for service. That is, that's at the heart what these uh, centers are doing. So 
back to the grant, back to what this grant means for you guys. And I, I started with this as an exciting day for you guys, and I, I would uh, say that again for you. So what Vacaville PD already has, you already have a suitable physical space. You don't need to build a new building. You don't uh, need to do anything that is more than just modify current space in order to build the physical nature of a real-time information center. Uh, footnote, you also don't have to build a real-time information center today to start real-time information center operations while you build one. So you don't have to wait for a year to have this thing up and running. As soon as you go into a technology stack, which I'll mention on the next slide, you're ready to go. All you need now is a, is a person. In the National Real-Time Crime Center Association, we say you need a person, a desk, and a, uh, and a computer, and that's it. And now you can do real-time policing. So. Uh, so it's something that you guys should understand is you don't have to wait for the physical infrastructure, although it's critical, right? But it doesn't have to happen today. Uh, you also have a suitable foundational traffic camera system and automated license plate reader system. Uh, these are very well placed throughout the city already. And this grant will allow you to enhance that placement, will allow you to really strategically place these throughout the city that again will help you uh, improve your community quality of life and safety. Uh, you already have, which not a lot of departments can say this, but you already have enough server room space so that if there is any on-premise new servers attached to any of the technologies that are implemented, you have the ability to accommodate that. And that's a, a good thing. With that said, most systems, most platforms used in real-time centers are software as a service or equipment as a service platforms. Very few of them are on-premise server legacy type systems, like you would find uh, 911 dispatch CAD systems. A lot of those are on-premise and have to have servers on-premise. There are some that do, but very rarely. And most of them, uh, again, are SaaS or uh, equipment as a service. Uh, and then you guys also have uh, classifications identified that can manage and work within the real-time information center. Uh, we have found it very effective to use community service officers as operators in real-time information centers, as well as analysts, crime analysts, intelligence analysts, et cetera. What you guys need is uh, an Arctic build-out within the available space that you have, additional staffing over time. And again, additional staffing over time is dictated by measured wins, measured success, measured need, right? So where a lot of, a lot of centers did in the last 15 years was they built centers, they threw a ton of detectives or other staff into these centers with anticipation of need, and ultimately through attrition, had to pull all of them back out to the street because they didn't have enough officers for the street, and these centers went dormant. It's much better to build it as you need it, assess it, and then grow it. It's scalable uh, by any measure. So something to, uh, to keep in mind. Uh, technology stack, we call it a technology stack for the simplistic terms of it, or it is all of the pieces of technology we think we need in order to be successful. Some of them uh, include video analytics. So these video analytics allow you to take a moment of video, let's say 12, 14 hours. Let's say it's a missing person. The family waited 14 hours to call in. We have an idea where the missing person left. We have a, a map of all of the different cameras that we have access to in that 14 hours. We will take that video, compress it from 14 hours into about a 10 minute clip, and then we'll filter it and say, we're only looking for people. And so it'll take all the cars out of there. It'll compress it further into about a 30 second clip. And now we're able to search 14 hours of video in 30 seconds and without error, right? So before, imagine searching 14 hours of video and we start to fast forward it. 
and then we start to to run the risk of missing a person, right? That may have gone by if we're fast forwarding. Uh, data aggregation mapping platform, sim simply put, that's a platform that allows you to see where all of your cameras are, where all of your uh, floor plans are for businesses, movie theaters, things like that in one centralized location. Uh, Live 911, I mentioned earlier, uh, facial recognition platforms, web investigation <laughs> platforms, uh, and then you get into the drone issues, drone data management and flight analysis platforms. That's the ones that's gonna give you your data uh, for drone flights. Uh, drone, drone remote piloting platforms. One thing I didn't mention with drone as a first responder is the concept there is that the drone pilot is in the real-time information center. They're not out standing on a roof. They're not uh, out in the field. They're in the real-time information center piloting that drone from there. And so uh, that's what that is for drone remote piloting platform and then drones themselves, right? And the last piece here is additional traffic and live cameras throughout the city. Uh, what we identified when we were brought in to consult with Vacaville PD is uh, the need for more cameras. And what better way to get those than through grants? And honestly, that's uh, desired by many and not had by all. And so um, it is something that's nice to see uh, with BSCC's grant. This is a three-year grant, three-year grant cycle. And so uh, some, some important things to note for you guys is, one, the funds will uh, be there to build your Arctic within your available space. Uh, it'll allow you to in, uh, enter into agreements to get your technology stack further enhanced, further built up, enhance your camera systems, enhance your license plate readers, uh, enhance all of the things that, that I've gone over already. Uh, it will allow you to staff that real-time information center to some level, to some extent. So it includes a, a community service officer position, and then also through funding retired annuitants, overtime, et cetera, you'll be able to, as a police department, will be able to tactically apply staffing in moments where it makes sense. Data will tell you, we need somebody these hours, these days, and then you staff those dates. And then funding for required program audits as part of the grant uh, comes with that as well. The important question, what does this cost you after? Right when this grant is over, what are you guys left with? Right, and so uh, understanding that that you have to be good stewards of the public fund, uh, the bottom line is at at minimum. So if in three years the council decides this isn't working, we don't need a real time information center. Let's dial this back. Every contract that will be entered into will be able to be ended at the end of that grant, with one exception, and that's flock safety. And they, it is a five-year contract they're looking for that allows for a significant discount uh, on that technology for the five years. So the bottom number, 165,000, if everything is pulled back and staff that are deployed there are then reallocated throughout the department to cover spots, vacancies, et cetera, you're looking at 165,000. Then it can go up to 659,000 as identified in the submission, the grant submission with BSCC. Technology can always cost more or less. It can be as uh, effective or ineffective uh, depending on its deployment and usage. All of this can be scaled. All of this with the exception of that $165,000 through flock safety at the end of this three-year cycle, all of that can be terminated and the city can make a different move at that point. Um, with that said, uh, flocks program will extend uh, two more years past that three years. So that 165 would be two more years past the end of this grant cycle. Uh, I'll turn it over here to Captain Poland for the rest of this.
So as you can see uh, why we, thank you, Jamie, very, very good job. As you can see why we brought Jamie on to join our team. He's, he's detailed, he's knowledgeable, and he understands uh, industry best practice. So thank you again, Jamie. Uh, with that, uh, we are asking the city council to consider approval of acceptance and appropriation of the BSCC grant award. And with that, uh, if there's any questions or comments, we'll turn it over back to you. Thank you for the detailed presentation. And uh, I guess my first comment is, is if you were in Sassoon dispatcher 31 years ago, how did you not end up in back of it? <laughs> I plead the fifth and <laughs> no comment. <laughs> uh, initially, I don't see why. Well, okay, hear the lights. Come I, I wait. No, that's fine. That's fine, especially if you have questions. Councilmember Silva. <clears throat> All right. Uh, thank you. Great presentation, great overview. And also, uh, congratulations, Vacaville, on the grant. Uh, I know a lot of effort and time goes into trying to create that, and it's never a guarantee. So. Um, it's always good to know that somebody else appreciates what y'all put together. Um, so just some uh, questions. Um, so current, currently, uh, so currently we have a system, but it's something more that we, it's not something that necessary is 24 seven, not necessary that's real time, correct? And uh, so the proposal for this still wouldn't necessarily be 24-7 is still something that would still be optimized based on uh, calls for service or certain problematic areas. Is that the plan? So the system that you have now, you have a couple of different uh, combinations. You have a video management system called Milestone, which is your traffic camera system. You already have your license plate reader system available. So currently, there is no one to monitor those actively except for, say, dispatchers, officers that are uh, on the street, et cetera. So what this will be doing is building that system, that center where you can staff that. The, the understanding and the, the recommendation is staff it during the week, during business hours, as you determine its efficacy, as you determine its need. And so with that said, there are ways to access systems remotely 24 hours a day. Uh, all of my staff have full setups in their homes. And any time that there is an overnight call, and I, I preface this with, it's never ideal, but it works. Uh, if, we're, if there's an overnight call, one of us is on call, we get called, and within two or three minutes, we're logged in and providing live actionable intelligence there. So as you move forward, as the police department moves forward, if more need is at night, then they can offset that need to have on-call people and just shift staffing to more nighttime shifts to, to accommodate that need. Clarify on that. Um, the you mentioned one item that's a possibility, so it doesn't sound like it's a set in stone plan. But this is public information. I know a lot of individuals have concern about personal information, so such as a license plate being projected out there for public. Uh, those videos feeds that will be public information. Is that something that? anybody from the public will be able to see and identify? Yes, sir. There's uh, government code 34090 regulates the retention of video and the accessibility. So it's a Public Records Act request uh, that that would have to be completed, but it is all publicly available video. So uh, individuals will be able to see those live feeds at some point and be able to take? Yes, sir. 
Yeah, and, and the, the majority of those requests we get are from insurance companies for vehicle accidents, and we produce those every day. Okay. Um, I know, so just uh, really my question, like next couple of questions will just be more focused on the as assessment. So it's not quite clear to me if, um, if we have an established, uh, what, what measurements are we looking to determine if this is in fact successful? Um, and I know, so along that lines, uh, I know the, there's, uh, we sought out more, more support that focuses on our outlets. Uh, we have other businesses with other concerns. Um, the past several months, uh, you know, it, it troubles me to hear um, uh, small business owners in different parts of town that have had negative experiences with certain certain folks, um, you know, maybe not mentally well or what whatnot, maybe actually trying to uh, be more explicit in, you know, some type of burglary or robbery. Um, and uh, and the, the, the struggles with uh, the current laws on how uh, police departments can help uh, mitigate um, or follow up on um, uh, those actions of those who are trying to commit a crime or just uh, threatening safety. So um, co collectively speaking, uh, I know there's a lot different there and it's all a lot of different, every situation's unique, but um, I, what's important to me is that we maintain that level of trust um, in our police department. We maintain that um, that level of trust in their community uh, and that uh, when p people say that they feel safe, that they should feel safe locking up their businesses, you know, at nighttime. And, um, and if something goes down that, you know, uh, somebody will be there. So I, I see how this can be a great tool to help assist that. Um, going back to the concept of, of, of measurements, how can, how can we find a measurement that, um, in a yes, focuses on um, the uh, more organized stuff that our outlets are, have been a target for, as well as similar places like that throughout the state, um, but also these smaller businesses. There's certain desired metrics by BSCC related to the awarding of the grant. Um, to, not, to not go too comprehensively into it, the idea is we need to show that organized retail theft and retail theft, vehicle theft, vehicle accessory theft, and cargo theft, which is kind of random compared to the others, uh, that those go down in the duration of the three-year grant. So at minimum, that's the metric that needs to be assessed for the BSCC. My recommendation is that uh, police department staff, executive staff, uh, engage with your body and really look at what are the measurements, what are the importances that you want identified data-wise throughout the project, right, throughout this three-year grant cycle. Because those, you'll find it, it's fluid. And you'll find that there's fluidity needed in both the the understanding that how you staff these, but also how you, the data that you're collecting and what you what you find important today may change a month from now, depending on the patterns. And so, um, those are the things that I think if there's a constant communication between the elected body that represents the community of Vacaville, the business community, and the police department, that's where you'll be able to kind of craft your your measurements before you hit the pavement, so to speak. And that doesn't have to take a long time to do. And so, um, and uh, maybe one more just extension off of this. Uh, so I, just for, the, I guess for, I'd like to be involved or at least be included in being engaged in what metrics that we, we roll out. Um, uh, and I say involved, just, just uh, let's have a nice conversation. Um, the, um, I do wanna uh, specify for the community that um, 
there was an unfortunate uh, event in a certain part of town uh, where a life was lost and uh, where folks are typically very uh, reluctant to um, to provide information or you know to willingness to be witnesses uh, my understanding uh, while um, my understanding is that a lot of the video uh, that was available from different security private um, private security cameras uh, that in itself um, just helped it helped um, not have to put uh, individuals in that position to feel um, uh, concerned about te testifying, so to speak, uh, that the evidence in itself uh, spoke for itself. So I see the tremendous value in, in that sense alone. Um, now, uh, as far as placements for uh, placements for bad, uh, excuse me, uh, placements for the cameras, how is that going to be determined? So uh, and is that flexible? Yes, sir. And typically what will happen is we're going to get a combination of crime data, traffic data, and direct feedback from your officers that are on the ground in various parts of the city. What we found successful is it's not always data driven to know that there's a good placement for a camera from an officer that works that beat consistently. All right. So those three things will be all overlaid together along with the current camera placement to determine where these new ones should go. Now, some of the new ones that are being brought in, which is uh, flock safety condor cameras, they allow you to move those. And so it's a nominal fee to move them, but they can be moved. And so it's not a, a permanent placement having to be determined at the time you place it. So we will, we will recommend placement to the police department uh, through that process. But again, a year from now, they should uh, reevaluate those and the efficacy of each of those cameras to determine if replacing them is better than enhancing or in, in you know, expanding those camera uh, numbers. With that said, um, moving them works, but then you're taking it from somewhere else. And so uh, you never know if that's the right move to make or not until after it's done. And, and uh, last quick question, uh, you mentioned wildfire safety evacuation uh, involvement. Um, I didn't see, uh, you know, any, any um, uh, examples of that. So how would, how would, um, and I guess we have to establish the difference between an established mounted camera versus a, a drone. Um, so I'm just curious if, if we're just clarifying where we're talking about drones, uh, can drone and are the cameras able, how, how, what type of technologies are they equipped with to be able to see through smoke? Uh, and if we're talking about a drone, uh, typically there's a lot of um, a lot of wind uh, produced from that. Uh, and how does that impact? Yeah, so uh, a couple different ways here. So there are fixed camera positions that can be utilized to make sure egress routes are clear. Those are recommended to be placed on identified egress routes that are generally identified in a local hazard mitigation plan that's already written at the county level uh, for evacuations. Uh, with drone technology, drones have a, a finite amount of time they can fly. Uh, most departments, drones that they fly have a 20 to 40 minute on station time for any flights that they have. If those drones are equipped with infrared devices, then that reduces that on station time because of the weight of the drone. And so you're down to maybe 30 minutes on station. The question, can it see through the smoke with infrared? You can see through many things. Uh, we use our drones to help the fire service as well. Uh, on their responses to calls. And so if there's, uh, if there's a reported structure fire and we have an officer nearby, they can launch the drone to get there faster than the officer and they can report to the fire service what they're seeing uh, through that. 
And lastly, all of that video can be streamed. It comes into the Real-Time Center. Real-Time Center packages it up, similar to that sideshow event that I showed on that one video, and can stream it out immediately. This is stuff that takes seconds to do. It doesn't take minutes to do. And so that allows your, your fire service uh, captain or battalion chief that might be uh, might be heading up the command for evacuations, your police watch commander that might be working a unified command with the fire service to have that video intelligence immediately. So both drones and fixed locations tactically, de uh, tactically deployed. Thank you. And um, I would also for the fact that even through the LNU firewall, the examples may not have been in your presentation. We use drones here from the police department to do oversight for all the allied agencies because you couldn't fly the helicopter at night. But our drone team was the one giving real-time information into the EOC. So we're familiar with it. This is, there's, it seems like there's really an expansion on it because it's really about being proactive. Um, there's other lights, a quick question. Is there procedurally the ability to, as, as this has a, a ramp up that could be quick to have contracts that uh, our city attorney's office can review so that we're not waiting, right? So who's creating a contract between a public-private partnership? I assume that that's been done elsewhere. Is that part of the grant process to help? Is there funding for that? Is, is that a consideration? Uh, I can speak to the, the public-private partnership portion of that, and I'll have to allow Captain Poland to speak to the, the general contract portion of that. Uh, Public-private partnerships, there are frameworks already out there for MOUs that were vetted by city attorneys uh, throughout that uh, we will share with the city of Vacaville. Uh, and then Vacaville city attorney, along with uh, anybody else that needs to be involved, can, can make changes to that. That's an easy MOU to sign between the city and the business. And what that MOU is doing is telling uh, the city and the business when the police department can and cannot access their video under what conditions, et cetera. Also, uh, Flock Safety has an MOU directly with the business. And so it's important to note that that information, that video that comes to the police department from the business cameras, you do not have a police or city IT individual having to put hands on a business's surveillance system. Flock Safety takes care of that. And so there's an MOU between them and the business and then one between the city and uh, the business as well. Uh, but I can share those, but I'll, I'll allow Captain Poland to speak to the other part. Yeah, we've been uh, working with Andrea Borba, our primary uh, counsel at the police department. Uh, she's been ramped up, kept up to speed on this the entire time. She's anticipating these contracts coming through. She understands the uh, urgency based on the grant requirements uh, to report back to BSCC in, in a reasonable amount of time. So she's on board, she's ready, to, she's ready to get to work, and then with the help of Jamie and some of the other contracts that are out there already, we feel like we can um, kind of look at how other cities are doing it and, and mirror what they, what's already out there. We're not recreating the wheel, per se. And then um, from the consideration, we've used a lot of these technologies for years. Lock safety, when I was still police chief, the locations have demonstrated their value. One of the questions, uh, Councilmember Silva, to your point, um, we know that a high, um, high impact crime that requires a court appearance could actually be validated in averaging of if it were, even if it's our agency or a mutual aid, um, 
whether it's you know a homicide or something very significant, those could be in the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of investigative hours and equally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of court time hours. And there's costs associated that could be factored to show improvement of quality of life, reduction in costs. And so those would be some of the things that I would, I would hope that part of the efficacy of this impact on safety, but the reduction in service deliveries and the staff requirement because of those post events. An investigation costs time, time is money. Court is time, time is money. And so those are efficiencies that I think can go a long way. Trust is always the important thing. I, I uh, appreciate Silva's uh, point on that. The, the, Chula, the Chula Vista, they are the first, and I've seen their presentation in the past. They deploy drones off the fire stations, correct? Uh, off the police department roof, a hotel roof, and a fire station roof. That's something they scaled. So that's um, if if that is part of uh, what we're considering to scale, um, is that part of the funding as far as what kinds of expansions? There is funding in the grant for that, uh, for a certain level of drone as a first responder. Uh, right now in the industry, there's there's two models. Well, there's really one model, two hopes. Uh, the, the one model is that you have to have somebody physically on top of the rooftop that has line of sight on these drones as they're flying. Uh, obviously, that's it's working, but it's not efficient or effective in the sense that you're, you're paying for two employees to perform one job, and that, that's a bit clunky, right, for lack of a better term. What we're waiting on is autonomous flight ability, and the technology exists. Uh, my agency, we're engaging the FAA to really talk about policy and guidelines that allow for autonomous flight by a remote operator to where you don't have to have a person on a rooftop uh, to do that. And so um, we're, we're looking into those, not just the technologies, but also we're trying to drive the FAA's consideration for that ability to reduce the two bodies for a call down to one. Yeah, and that's really the goal. So uh, real-time centers are fluid. Drone operations are even more fluid right now. Appreciate it. I'm, obviously, I'm a I'm a strong supporter of this. I was this was again. I don't know why you didn't come to Vacaville years ago because uh, I was actively trying to implement these things when I was uh, the police chief. Uh, lastly, the um, mutual aid can be external, not just to you know from uh, policing, but public safety. But could be anything. It could be hazmat. It could, there's so many different ways that it isn't just about policing. It is, it is community safety. So I'm glad you said that. But the other point of this is the ethical use of technology is absolutely required. And my experience, and, and I know it continues today through the chief and staff, comes to the council every year as far as the types of technologies that um, we're, we have to report whether it's uh, through the use of drones to SWAT teams. And so those are the things that I think just in the, in the sense of the public ensuring that we know what we're talking about and we're also availing some transparency to them that we are doing so responsibly and ethically. Very much appreciate the presentation and this opportunity. So I'm, I'm excited about this. Councilmember uh, Ritchie. Thank you so much. So um, I'm first and foremost, thanks for the presentation. And 
um, I'm a fan. So it's it's pretty interesting. I'm very optimistic about certain things. Um, about a year, over a year ago, um, I talked to uh, Captain Poland and Lieutenant Dahl and myself and, and Councilman Stockton were really looking at how can we help better our current districts with cameras. Um, and then I got it kind of previewed to the vision of what could be better and bigger. And actually, I pulled back my opportunity to do cameras at one site because I really had the faith after hearing the passion of what could come that I don't want to do a patchwork and, and it's kind of hodgepodge quilt. I want to make sure the whole city is connected and really bring something that's, that's the city kind of safety. Um, I thought it was amazing. Um, ability to take kind of the technology into policing and really make sure that we find a way to use the cameras and the lights reading cameras, the flaw cameras, the way in which it can show for kind of back doors in our city, it can recognize cars, enable you guys to respond more clearly and fast. Um, I think it's great. I mean, it's big brother aspects kind of, kind of weird, but when you look at how many crimes are solved and resolved and the ability to keep our community safe by having that instant access to cameras, it inherently actually makes us more safe because the people that are bad actors know the city has less gaps, less opportunity to cause crime without kind of slipping through the net at a back door, certain street. I won't name streets that were that way, but um, the word gets out that, listen, that's not the city you want to go do crime in. They have it covered. Um, it's a way for us to kind of have community policing through technology. Um, it helps the community be more accountable, helps police be more accountable. Um, this goes both ways. The technology we use and say, no, that actually doesn't happen. It helps people feel more safe in their community, realizing, you know what, if something happens, I know I can call immediately 911 and say, my kid was abducted by a car. That car might be found before it gets to the third intersection, heading the right way. Before you know it, that kid is recovered due to your technology. So, you know, inherently the grants about money and theft. So I, was, I wanted to do this research. I think it's $116 billion annually is lost through shrinkage in America. Now, I mean, how much of that is in Vacaville? I don't know, but it's a lot. You know, that is a huge benefactor to, to get back, to have small businesses, large businesses have the faith to stay the door, keep the doors open without having shrinkage and having tens of millions of dollars of lost revenue. Because when someone walks out with something and they don't ring the register, we lose tax dollars. They lose safety, they shut down. Businesses have been sheltered all over California due to this reason. Everyone loses. The ability to have the cameras to inherently protect our city, maintain the level of service is huge. Um, it just everything about it I think is really perfect and I look forward to kind of supporting going forward. Thank you, Councilmember Stockton. Yes, thank you. Um, that was an amazing presentation. Clearly, um, I'm involved in this line of work, and so this has been kind of a topic of interest throughout the profession nationally. Super excited um, about the possibilities that you discussed today, and it's probably one of the best presentations on this subject matter that I've ever seen. I appreciated the visuals, the explanations. It was clear that you put a lot of time and thought, and it sounds like you've dedicated a significant portion of your life to this. So it's an it's amazing to see it come to fruition, to see what it is now and know where it's been in the past and the capabilities to really protect quality of life 
and save lives. So uh, of, of our citizens, as well as the public safety professionals and, and folks that, that put their lives on the line. Um, also wanted to say, um, Chief Schmutzler, you were able to do something that Chief Mayor was not able to do. You got it done. And I think some of that <laughs> is because, uh, uh, joking, joking, sir, joking. You, you, you laid the pathway. Um, but, but really, you should be very proud of your team. Um, I know that Captain Poland, uh, the Lieutenant Dahl, and um, as well as uh, one of your staff members, um, uh, Tyler, or Taylor, excuse me, Taylor uh, Pirro, um, put a lot of significant effort into this. And, and you know, they're, they're a small group of, of a really amazing organization that you have that goes above and beyond all the time to find ways to innovate and protect the public and protect each other. Uh, one of the key things that you talked about earlier, um, precision pol uh, policing methods. You know, we just went through um, kind of an, um, an not an overhaul, I guess, um, what we call the, um, uh, the, the investigation into our police services and, and, and looking at ways to improve and to, to, to make sure that our law enforcement officers are, are doing and providing the services that we expect here in Vacaville. And this is another way to, 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 to give them tools and give reassurances to the community that uh, we are going above and beyond not only to have um, to, to solve crimes, find people to service them, but also to make sure that our people are doing what they're supposed to be doing, which I think is fantastic. Um, I did have a couple questions um, that, and, I'll, and I'll, I won't go over the ones that have already came out. I, I'm very interested to know more about these MOUs, um, how, uh, what the process will be for citizens to be able to sign up if, if this is approved. Um, schools. Um, we've all seen the tragic circumstances that happen nationwide. I'd be very interested to know if we could get an MOU that's specific, you know, that states if, if we get a report of blank, we can turn that camera on and, and give people that are responding to go and protect our kids the best opportunity that they can to get there. Um, that being said, um, great questions about the accessibility and availability of these um, videos after the fact. And knowing that they're PRAable and can be broadcasted is good information. It is, will there be a delay in any sort of broadcast so that it doesn't jeopardize the security and safety of the responding officers that can be seen on those cameras? Because I know that you know a lot of the criminals have the the radios on their phone where they can hear the communications. Is that something that, that can yes. be built in? Yes, and and. Uh... To be very clear about that, for public safety and confidential responses, that streaming that's done on those videos is done internally only. Okay. So it's done just to the police staff that are working that event. Uh, schools uh, that we look for in this in the business, we look for uh, transmission sources that have a very low latency, sub-second latency. So what you're seeing right now on a video is literally what's happening right now on the video, right? Not like a football game where you're eight or 10 seconds delayed. Um, but with that said, the latency is dependent on how, you, what service you use to stream, uh, et cetera. That is very low cost now. And so uh, low cost streaming services. The last piece about schools, and this goes with any business, schools, et cetera. Um, actually, I have two last pieces, so it's really not the last one. Um, the piece about schools and streaming, you are going to be limited by the quality of video management systems that these businesses have or schools have. So if the school has a video management system that is conducive with sharing and with streaming, then absolutely it can be done. And uh, Flock Safety is the, is the, uh, the company that is providing that. 
uh, last now piece is the MOU with the schools. I have one of those for data sharing with school districts. It, uh, it took four years to get cleared because there is a lot of student record issues, et cetera, that had to be uh, vetted by school council. So, uh, but it can be done, it has been done, and that would be shared with Vacaville at minimum to give them some, some formatting of what that is. Just a couple more, sorry guys. Um, so you talked about um, drones as first responders. Is there a way to connect to CHP um, air, air vehicles like their helicopters and fixed wing aircraft to be able to stream? Yes, if they allow it. They currently don't allow it. They do not, okay. Thank you for that. And then <clears throat> how many other cities in Solano County are currently have something like this? Zero. Um, and let's see here. When, if, if you talked a little bit about wildfires, flooding and evacuation routes, and I feel like the evacuation routes are kind of related to both of those things, at least, um, is that something that can be live streamed in real time for folks that are trying to evacuate an area? Yes, okay. and that would be the intent. And uh, I believe it was the mayor that mentioned uh, EOC. Uh, in my world, I get to work or manage the EOC at the same time as, as the event as well. Uh, this would be streamed into your EOC, into if there's a separate unified command with your fire service and law enforcement there. If you have a, a ICP incident command post, say uh, similar to the campfire where we had 400 officers from multiple agencies at a, at a community college command post, if you had that same scenario, it'd be streamed there as well. So the, the beauty is that video intelligence along with static intelligence, so just static text, can be streamed in minutes now and live so that so that decisions can be made with with the best available intelligence. Okay, and then lastly, uh, my my question is is really hopeful of the comments that we may get from the public, whether it's at the meeting or in the future. There there's clearly concern anytime there's uh, you're balancing technology, safety and civil liberties. Um, I think it's important that we have some sort of very established method for folks to be able to contribute their um, suggestions or voice their concerns about how this technology is is utilized, audited, and that we make sure that that we're being res as responsible and respectful and, and as possible. So I, I hope to hear comments um, either tonight or in the future and uh, just very, very excited about the opportunities that this really presents for the city of Acaville if done correctly and, and I, I have confidence that if we work together with the community and our police department, we can find that balance. Councilmember Chapman. Um, excellent report. I, I sincerely appreciate it. I'm working with a victim of a hit and run, not here in Vacaville, but it is a challenge and uh, First of all, the public-private partnership, the mayor took care of that. Thank you. Um, something, oh, the measurements uh, that uh, council member Silva had inquired about. When you submitted the grant, you, uh, I'm sure there was data included in there to, to illustrate or uh, indicate the, the need. Um, in Vacaville, so that you know, 
in order to be considered, yes, you have to have a, a need. So the data that was included, you would use that as part of your initial measurement uh, starting out and even at the end of three years, which if it doesn't show something, it's, uh, especially in those specific areas that you identified, then we have an issue. Yes, ma'am. That's the easiest data to use because it's it's already there and it's already pooled. And the, the recommendation would be to allow allow the real-time center the opportunity to function for a period of time before you use that comparative analysis on that data to ensure that it's had enough time to actually yield results. And um, one um, current present staff, um, dispatchers, uh, you mentioned communication, uh, staff and all. We won't have any staff that will be displaced with infusion or bring on the real time uh, center, right? And I'm, we will cross train or, that's good. I hear the chief behind me, but yes, ma'am. Uh, no one oh, will be yeah. displaced. He was, he was back there <laughs> affirming, yes, yes, yes. We must take care of those who don't have the skill set uh, to make sure if they are interested, you provide the training, or if not, you find another suitable location for them. And I and just to add to that with my experience, I suspect the comm center will appreciate this because it's been an added uh, impact because they're they're having to multitask. And at this point, the passive version of the camera system in the comm center. So it's passively being used, but actively in the moment. This is, becomes a far more proactive, intentional from an intelligence perspective. So I think what it will also do is relinquish some of the pressures in, in the comm center. Vice Mayor Wiley. Thank you. Yeah, uh, thanks for the information. The you know, 4.4 4 million sounds like a great thing coming into Vacaville, but then when that's gone, what do we do You know, on year four? So that's down the road. Um, my question is, you mentioned kind of manned or unmanned, and it seems to be the preference would be to have it manned, but I just wanted to ask that question, will it be manned all the time or what's the plan here? So the, going into this, the plan would be to staff it with a crime analyst moving into the real-time information center that currently has workload and investigations, would continue that workload, but would perform real-time operations center uh, functionality, along with a community service officer position uh, that can move in there and do that as well. Uh, depending on how they're deployed across the week, that'll give you essentially 80 hours of coverage throughout that week. And that will start to determine the need for any further uh, staffing. And then you can augment that need with the retired annuitants or overtime, uh, mentioning the cross-training of, of other current employees. So you can really start to use the grant money uh, in an overtime sense and in a, in a retired annuitant sense to start to augment that staffing where you believe you need them to proof that concept as well throughout this period of time without having to necessarily hire more full-time bodies in the middle of that. And then the storage of the video, is it just in perpetuity on the cloud or what's the, no. where's the storage? I'm glad you brought that up. And so, who organizes that yeah. in perpetuity on so the cloud? That same government code that I gave earlier, 34090, dictates 
uh, storage of surveillance video. And that storage uh, in city attorneys across the state have varying degrees of definition for that. And so I would defer to your city attorney uh, to, to if they have not already reviewed that, to review that and then make that recommendation to uh, the city and to the police department for retention. The government code itself as written says one year of storage, but again, it is interpreted widely throughout the state from 30 days on up to one year. So uh, I would defer that, but to answer the question, uh, all video and all captured photographic data has a retention period and has a purge. So in license plate reader technology, the standard is 30 days. Uh, within 30 days, the, the thought is, if a crime occurs in Vacaville is reported, that's enough time to assign that case to a detective and have that detective be able to research that data, but then purge that data from existence if it's not needed uh, within that after that 30 days. So license plate reader, the, the general rule is 30 days. Video, it, it varies from 30 days to one year. All of it is purged and none of it is retained in perpetuity unless it falls into a retention schedule associated with a crime, say a homicide, something like that. And now it's evidence as opposed to just video. And then you mentioned the license plate reader and the vehicles. So it seems like that's a key, but oftentimes I, my perception is criminals have some vehicle other their own personal vehicle when they're doing a crime. So what happens when there's no vehicle that's right? Because I had my wallet stolen and it showed on the video and they saw the person doing that. Um, and this was like five years ago, but because there was no vehicle, or, so they, could, they couldn't find the woman even though they saw, here's her picture on the video, but. Sure, was, was that at a business? Yes. So imagine we have a public-private partnership with that business or that outlet or wherever it is that we can then see that suspect entering a vehicle. Let's say they enter a tan four-door vehicle. Through uh, artificial intelligence, generative, generative AI, machine learning, uh, that's what's utilized in license plate reader technology. We can search for a tan four-door vehicle, and then it'll give us all of those that we're in, whatever area we're searching. Like right? the black pickup. Exactly. And right. so that, that's how that would work. And just to walk you through that process, that's kind of how that would work to where we go from unknown vehicle to it's probably that one. Right. And, and then just the other thing, I've had questions from people concerned about the cameras that we have now. So if we, if this is, you know, rolled out, we have to be very careful about how we communicate that to the public because there's uh, perceptions of police on both sides. And we wanna make sure that it's always positive. And as you said several times in your presentation, for the good of the public or to protect both people, I mean, that's what we need to make sure that we are hitting out to the, the people. So just communication. And then just my, I mess, I missed it, but so I would like to know, are you, you said several times your agency and then several times, so are you with this business? Are you with an agency? Are you with the police department? Who are you? Yes to everything. So <laughs> uh, my company is a company that has been providing dispatch training for about 15 years and real-time center consulting now for about a year and a half, two years. Uh, I currently am employed as real-time information center manager for the Elk Grove Police Department. Yeah, and then I also am on the advisory board for the National Real-Time Crime Center Association. And is that this business or is that... Is uh, IXII or 911 group is the business. And and you're with that representing them tonight? Yes, ma'am. Okay. All right. Thank you. Those are my questions. Just uh, to comment on what uh, the vice mayor asked, clarify that in the public-private partnership, 
the videos that are shared with us, that's not anything we're retaining. That's their video. If it becomes evidentiary, then it's transferred in a different. Can you explain that? So it's That's understood right. all this feed that comes to the city is not all owned by the city and it's not all controlled by the city. Very good point. Uh, none of that video is, is retained by the city ever. Uh, it, any video that's used for potential evidence must be produced by the owner of that video. So what this will allow us to do, if a real-time center employee says the 7-Eleven has video of this car, an officer still needs at some point, or an officer or maybe a community service officer, whoever it is, needs to make contact with that business to obtain the physical copy of that video. So yes, uh, it is, it's shareable, but we do not retain that whatsoever. Uh, we don't have access to that. Public records request, would they come through you or would they come through our, our public service? I can't answer that for this city, uh, Captain. Yeah, we have a... Oh. I was just going to mention that Public Records Act requests would either come through the police department, would come through the city clerk's office to receive records of the city. And then we would tell the company to find it. Well, the company's records are private records. They're not, they're not public records until they share them with us and we retain them for some other, for like a police investigation reason. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we have video because we own cameras. We're, we are required to follow PRA because we're the owner. But if it's an entity in the city that shares it with us, it's not a public record, it's, it's theirs. Is that, so that's the difference. And a, a good example of that, let's say that, um, let's say one of your, your health facilities, your hospital facilities uh, shares cameras with you guys. There are HIPAA rules that are that are needing to be followed on their end before they produce anything. So, and that includes even as evidence. And so, um, we can see it. We're we're not able to record it. And so, again, if we need the recorded version, we have to go to that source. School districts are the same way. So, any any PRA really covers your system here, and your license plate reader system. If it's a system that is not owned by the city, then it needs to go through that process. Subpoena for the for the private ones, PRA for any public. Councilmember Roberts. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for the presentation. This is my world. I love this stuff because between the military and emergency management stuff that I do, I've worked in all various forms of Arctic's and different agencies. Um, yeah, I really like how it's starting to expand. I know I talked to Captain Poland, Chief Smutzler, about it before, is really expand this out to entire public safety. Um, and then the often forgot public safety aspect is public works, too, because um, they deal with a lot of floods, like putting fixed cameras at the retention basin so we can see if there's an issue with those that they can monitor during a flood. If it's not a big thing, so activating EOC, possibly push it down to a department operations center that they can just watch from their office, from their overnight uh, folks that are there. Um, and a couple things you brought up, yeah, actionable information or information drives operations type things. And a big part of that is accurate information, not just information itself, because I know collecting information with people whether it's a black truck, somebody might be, a, oh, it's a blue truck, oh, it's a gray truck, it's primered truck, whatever. 
being able to have those drones as first responder get out there, we said it was an average 95 seconds, I think, to actually see what the truck is because you don't know what it is. Could be a combination of all three, who knows? Um, so I think having that accurate information along with that demonstration you showed with the gentleman with the hammer, um, that's where protecting the public also comes in too because that could have been a very bad situation quickly depending on who responded and the, what was going on at that time. And so, yeah, I think it's important for both officer and public safety being able to re respond appropriately to those situations. Um, and then more for a question, and you guys kind of briefly touched on the information that's collected and needed, like what metrics we're looking at. Uh, for the grant specifically and their work plan, is there any specific deliverables that they require that we have to collect or demonstrate? There's no exact number, which is a good thing. Uh, there is a, a sh the ability to show that this was reduced uh, within okay. the jurisdiction that had received the award. And that's within the, the retail aspect sure. of it. And kind of a, again, the big brother-esque aspects of collecting and like establishing patterns of life in certain areas, and especially if certain people are coming in and out regularly. Have you run into issues with that, like collecting information to establish patterns for certain shopping centers? Uh, we have not ever been asked to do that by anyone outside of the police department, meaning, uh, for instance, uh, if you have a a large retail complex and you're just looking for traffic counts, our traffic engineering section with the city may ask us to use our camera network to produce their data on how many cars are going, et cetera. Um, but to establish pattern uh, responses, pattern movements of individuals, of things like that, absolutely not. And, and it should never be used for that. Uh, we, at my agency, we are a reactive agency. We do not proactively monitor the cameras. So we don't grab a camera at an intersection and go, let's just see what's happening here today. Mm -hmm. uh, it is always reactive to an incident. The one exception really is any time that we're working safety of an event, a festival, things like that, we'll proactively monitor the assets that we deploy, be them trailers, drones, et cetera, just for that community safety during that event. But uh, the, the cameras you see on the intersections uh, should not be monitored proactively, individually, looking for any type of pattern or movement of any individual. It's not associated with a crime or a reason, missing person, et cetera. Okay. And for the, um, the data aggregate mapping type stuff you're talking about for the cameras, uh, I know in the past I've typically used like ArcGIS or some type of Esri That's product. That's what we're using, sir. Okay. Um, and then... Again, tying it back to public safety with like power safety shutoffs using, yeah, some form of working with public health and identifying, hey, these folks have their power shuts off. They have equipment that relies on that power. Uh, utilize, tying that in with like survey one, two, three, and send people out to do like welfare checks as well. Uh, so I think, yeah, tying all this in with some type of mapping software, like you mentioned, would be good for all aspects of not just uh, public or law enforcement, but fire and as well as like EMS services too. So uh, there's a there's a piece of the technology stack that's written in and it's called First Two and it's an intelligence platform that that platform uh, is designed as part of its design to 
help you log evacuations, access and functional need information for houses, et cetera. And so uh, that system itself, if you have evacuations, it'll allow officers to see in their cars which houses have been contacted, who's been evacuated, who didn't answer the door so we can come back if we need to. So those systems are there and that's part of that technology stack that's in the plans uh, for Vacaville to have as part of this. I know this is this is specifically this one for the three-year cycle for the retail grant. Are there other grants out there for that can util that we can possibly reach out to you for fire, public works, or EMS services for this protective assets, or even like with the fixed cameras, because drones have a limited time, like um, early warning systems, like the tower out of Pina Dobe, Mount Back, at putting high-quality cams out there to gauge um yeah fire mapping the perimeters so we have early warning system if it does come into town do you know if there's anything out there that can there are always more grants available for emergency management than there are for law enforcement uh similarly there are oftentimes grants available for fire service as opposed to law enforcement and so uh there are grants that can be obtained uh, for emergency management uh, so to speak that can then benefit both the fire service and law enforcement in response to those disasters or planning, et cetera. Um, there's UASI funds uh, available for, for particular things. So there's actually a lot of grants available. A lot of them require city money as well. And so there are there, the ones like this BSCC grant where it's, it's kind of all inclusive without any city money required to, to obtain it. Uh, there, those are more few and far between, but they do exist. Okay, uh, one last question. I'm sure city manager probably sees it coming, but um, with your role, how important is the emergency manager role in helping all this stuff function? <laughs> it is not. Uh, so um, by default, I'm the emergency manager in, in our city. Uh, it is a function of the police department in our city. Uh, we're unique in that we don't have a fire service that is a city fire service. Uh, we have a, a community services district that provides fire service for us. And so the city has determined that the police department will run emergency management. And then our chief, when we had the real-time center set up, thought this is a good spot for emergency management to be. So emergency management does not have to be in your real-time center. It should certainly be collaborative, though, with your real-time center along with the fire service. If they're one and the same, then, then uh, synonymous there. But yeah, PD is not happy about having to do all the ICS work, though. In our house, they are. <laughs> I'm going to open up to the public. Anyone wishing to comment? Please come forward. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. For a minute, I thought I was back on the job. But don't worry about my sarcasm, because I can't top Roy. Streaming, uh, that was one of my questions. I know that's going to be like... He got me, so... <laughs> it was beautiful. No, I'm not touching it. Um, I'm glad that it's streaming. Uh, like, two questions to that. One is, what are you streaming to in a radio car or fire apparatus? Do they use their data computer, or is there a separate receiver? And then the other question is, because I have some experience doing this, capturing commercial news helicopter downlink into the system. Um, thank you, Councilman Stockton. I do have civil liberty questions. I don't know if you've ever watched the uh, communist Chinese videos of how they've, they've started off with their safety cameras everywhere. 
then they did license plate identification and facial recognition. And then as the politics changed, the purpose changed, and all organizations around the world, no matter who they are, have mission creep. Um, I'm hoping that the city will, don't worry, I love the guys, you know that. We'll have very clear SOPs with consequences. Uh, earlier this year, two, FBI acknowledged 278,000 illegal record searches bypassing FISA. In April of 2022, they acknowledged 3.4 million illegal uses of data. And I would hate to see the minority report occur here in the city of Ackville. Now, with, I have no concern with you guys, but it's that next guy coming in. So how the city will address the civil liberties to keep it square. And quite frankly, I didn't know any police officer except back in the 70s and 80s when he wanted to meet a girl who ran a plate illegally. But uh, cops aren't like that generally. It usually goes into a higher level. So we have to have some kind of safeguard in place to address what Councilman Silva pointed out and I believe Councilman Stockton. And I'm about running out of time. So with, with those keen points there, the streaming possibility, I, I was totally excited. I just couldn't imagine like being in, in the fire apparatus and then seeing the structure fire because back in the day we used to guys do size up before they even got anywhere near the scene. They get there and go, oh my God, it was something totally different. So this is pretty exciting stuff. I can see tremendous opportunity with it, but it has to be tightly controlled. Very narrow, very narrow. Thank you. Thank you. Please come forward. Hi, my only question was, uh, since this is a reactionary uh, platform, I wanted to know, was there any data analytics platform that this would be parsed through where you can use machine learning to identify things that would have to have like a, um, a person come on to the feed and, and film it at the time. So since it is reactionary, right, I wonder at what point it does the, the footage say, hey, the machine learning or the AI found a hammer and then at that point you should look at it. You know, um, that's, yeah. Well, hold on a second. Do you have any other questions? Oh, um, what? platform do you use to parse the data? And um, what um, handshake service do you use to uh, keep the restrictions from not storing the data either on site or in the cloud uh, with your partners uh, and just streaming? Thank you. I'll, I'll come back to answer some of the questions, but the questions are directed to the council. So okay. appreciate your time. Gotcha. Anyone else? I've been curious, and I was in retail for over 30 years, and uh, we didn't have a tremendous amount of shoplifting. I was fired from one job for running down a shoplifter, so <laughs> so uh, it, it kind of hits home at, at times. I've, I've been watching the um, the television and all these uh, 15, 20 guys show up in cars. They run into the big stores in San Francisco, and they just walk out with it, and, and of course, the uh, the rules of the state and the rules of the companies has been don't interfere. I guess they're afraid of lawsuits, afraid of people getting knocked off, whatever. Um, my question is, once you've identified um, <clears throat> a mass incursion into a store and you're able to get the police units out there, how, how would you handle it? 
You know, would there be a shootout? Would there be a, a... I'm just curious because my wife's asking me all the time. Thank you. Yeah, that's fine. I'm just curious. Is this going to be decided tonight? Allowing these people to come in and start looking well, into our lives? The agenda is to accept the grant. The, the, I'm sorry, I couldn't. The agenda tonight is to accept a grant that has been awarded. The, the description of it in its build-out and to scale is something that would be left to staff to do and to report back to the council. Can you interpret that to me about, are you going to let these people start using the cameras around town to monitor the citizens? I, pre I appreciate the, the question, and I'll direct the question to staff. Okay. Yeah. Was that, I mean, did I say it the right way? Yes. Are you yeah, going to allow that? I understood that. What I'm asking from you, and you directed that question, I'll direct that question to staff. Okay. So then the, the other question, that, or a few of the other questions that I have are, you heard me before. The seven of you represent literally thousands of voters out here in Vacaville. Each one of your votes, what is there, 70,000 voters in Vacaville? 50? Yeah, more than 100. We got, what, most of these people work here, but 30, 40 people here tonight? I, this is the first I heard of this. I've seen the cameras for years. So, and I'm getting to a point, I apologize, I'm not oh, a good fine. speaker. Tell them, Mike. Anyways, uh, seven people are representing literally thousands of people. How on earth would you even know? You don't know who I am. My representative has never even spoke to me except for one time. And I'm sure she don't even remember. So is this part of democracy? Are you guys the first step in democracy or is it back in the Cub Scouts? You know what I'm saying? It's like, I've been alive for 70 something years and I still haven't figured out how democracy works. You guys are gonna make a decision here. And it's gonna come out of my tax dollars, whether you call it a grant or a fine or whatever it is. How do I get represented in this whole process? You know, and I, I understand law and order, you know, I'm kind of for that, but I don't want people videotaping me while I'm walking down the street. I'm a free man, I earned that. Anyways, I've probably got a lot more to say, but you guys caught me on short notice, okay? So consider that, and then just get back to me with your answers. Thank you. Thank you. I'm gonna go ahead and close the public comment and uh, bring it back to the council and ask that you're able to answer a few of those questions. Um, first off, though, I will say that the council doesn't take this lightly. This came to the council as part of approving the application to a grant. So the state of California required that those cities that would be interested understood up front what they were asking for, for just these reasons. The BSCC is looking to reduce the statewide impact of organized retail theft. I sat on the state of California's data sharing task force to the attorney general for this very issue, which is why the city of Vacaville has used and contracted with flock safety for many, many years now and done so responsibly. 
the expectation is real police department should be able to journal and document how the system is being used our technologies require logins and the data often captures who does what when they run someone so it's changed a lot over the years and there are policies and there are consequences and safeguards to SOPs for that to be responsible I'll be the first one to say my comments were this has to be done ethically however it can be used to greatly improve the safety it doesn't have to all be about the police fire service public works putting cameras where they're there is the prone to flooding where the bridges are. There's so much that can be about community safety while at the same time protecting the interests of a free society. I, I understand that greatly in my former role as the police chief. It comes at a real price of public trust and its, and its ability to be implemented. But I will tell you it has been implemented for years now. And so the, the expectation of staff and through our city manager and through our city attorney to oversee these issues is to ensure that we have been doing it ethically and responsibly and have professionals doing it. The change is, is you know, how do you take the existing systems and utilize it in a way that can be, the word that I heard was precision. The value of precision is, is policing over, if we're just looking at policing over many, many years, has been randomly stopping a car that just looks like this might be the person. Well, that person has to encounter a traffic stop. If there are ways to reduce and restrict the impacts of police encounters for a safer environment, at some point what we have to do is balance the, the efficiency of technology. At the same time, we all could agree that you know, AI can be very troublesome with where technology is going. So it has to be done in a way that my expectation, I, I would imagine the council will feel the same way, is, is when it begins to have changes, show us what it's doing and why. A clear example of this is if you can stop through prevention, the organized crime that will come into a retail area. And so some of the metrics out there are when the state is looking at you have high retail areas. You, are, you are, have access to the Bay Area you're, where organized crime occurs. And so they look at this from the BSCC trying to reduce the impact of crime. We've had a decade-long experiment on failed policies. And now this is a reaction, which is the reason why you know, a quarter of a billion dollars is coming into local agencies trying to figure out how their policies didn't work. And so if prevention becomes the deterrent, not everything is about an arrest. Sometimes it's just about the impression that if you come to Vacaville, there are technologies that work in private public partnerships that may create the possibility of an organized offender to get caught and maybe decide not to do it. That in and of itself creates safety. Not just safety for the community, but safety for an encounter that doesn't occur. And how do you measure that? So I greatly appreciate your position. Uh, the tonight's actions are to, for us, is, is to augment a budget for the one staff person to help operate this and to accept the grant. And in, that, in doing so, augments the annual budget to reflect that one staff person.
This is just the beginning. Um, anything else that was asked that you, you believe that you could answer from the public's comment? I have uh, a few that I can. So uh, broadcast station, helicopter news streams, et cetera, uh, that is uh, dependent on the news organization itself. But because it's being broadcast onto public television stations, we can then grab that video and then restream that out to our responders. So that's how that would work. Uh, accessing the streams in cars, fire engines, et cetera, uh, with, with regulation at hand prior to doing so. We don't want some, an officer that's driving with lights and sirens on watching a video as they're, as they're driving. But, um, you know, in a fire engine that's occupied, you know, by two to four uh, individuals, we can stream directly to a mobile data computer uh, that's in there, iPhones, et cetera, uh, depending on what is city-owned, right? We're not going to stream to private phones, et cetera, that are out there. Uh, any inquiry-based system should have auditing as part of that system's usage. And I, I think uh, Councilmember Ritchie mentioned that, uh, or it might have been uh, Mr. Stockton, but um, license plate readers, flock safety, that's being audited already at Vacaville Police Department, uh, and it should continue uh, on, a, on a routine basis. Any other inquiry-based technology stack platform that is brought here should have an audit that's automatically done by somebody in the department that looks for use, reasons for use, and acceptance of use as far as it meeting the guidelines that it should be used in. So there should not be any inquiry-based platform that's a part of this technology stack that doesn't include auditing to ensure that it's being used the proper way. Uh, and the last piece here is uh, platforms used to parse data and data sharing. Uh, data sharing oftentimes is governed by law. Um, and for those data that are not governed by law, as far as sharing goes, typically it's included in a contract between the provider of that platform and the city. So your city attorney will be able to vet that and ensure that that falls within the, the, the comfort level of the city to ensure that that sharing is, is done properly or that that retention of data is, is uh, completed properly. And my only comments on that is I... I would, uh, I would ask that as part of this process, I don't want to sit here and assume any, anything other than what my prior knowledge was, especially with the enhancement of the city attorney's office for oversight to ensure that we have the proper policies and work with the police department so that that safeguard is there on behalf of the public's trust and that there is, there is some internal um, oversight and into how we're implementing technology through, through the legal side of, and the lens of this, right? Yes, and in fact, as uh, Captain Pullen had mentioned, we actually have a, a, a assistant city attorney that's assigned directly to represent and oversee public and work with public safety, both the police and the fire department. So that um, that is in place. Councilmember Stockton. I don't know if this is the time for a motion. Are we there yet? Okay, I'd like to motion that we accept the grant funding and that staff take the recommendations that were heard from the council and the public today and incorporate that moving forward with this um, opportunity. We have a second with council member Chapman. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Thank you very much. Um, it's one to take um, with respect. <laughs> Well, uh, this is this is a good thing 
to protect the community. So I'll be excited to see what does uh, come out of this as you begin to scale this. Uh, just a quick question. I'm sorry. A uh, quick question. Uh, when should the public expect to have an update uh, or council have an update to see where, where we're at? Or if they have questions in the meantime, who could they ask, reach out and ask? Uh, thanks for the question. We Our timeline is, it's, it is fluid. We're trying to uh, move um, as quick as we can, but there's a lot of uh, financial constraints that we're working through with the, with the state right now. Our goal is to grow this with you, to communicate with you, um, to uh, give you, feed you all the information that you're asking for. Uh, myself or Lieutenant Dahl is your primary point of contact for any questions that might come up. But we don't want to do this uh, without your guys' recognition and knowledge and and grow it together, so. Thank you. Thank you very much. Jim, I saw you, okay, sorry, I thought you were <laughs> Thank you very much and for the presentation uh, in hearing us out, so looking forward to seeing where this goes. All right. And with that, we uh, move on to reports of city manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, during some of the more recent uh, city council meetings, the council has made several inquiries um, during the council comment periods that have uh, warranted a request for myself. And so just real quickly, I wanted to give the council an update on a couple of those items that uh, you've asked about. Uh, we'll begin first with the, uh, what we're now calling the Extreme, War Extreme Weather Warming Center, which as a reminder is a, um, a facility that we're utilizing the city's uh, uh, property um, that was formerly the Greyhound bus station over there on Elmira near Peabody. Um, this particular facility will be utilized as an extreme weather warming center during uh, those periods of extreme weather when we reached uh, particular milestones in the weather, uh, specifically uh, two consecutive days at 32 degrees or below. And then uh, there's also another um, uh, element to it with regards to a sliding scale related to temperature and rainfall. Um, so whenever that uh, the weather hits either of those conditions, that facility will be opened and, and operated. Um, and what we've been doing since the last time we shared some information with the council is, is that we continue to meet with the businesses in that area, um, get their input and, and um, let them know what exactly is being planned and that it, you know, the limitations on it. We've also installed the fencing as you've probably seen as you drive by. Um, but we've also been uh, solidifying uh, contracting services for security. Uh, we will have at all times when the center is open, we will have a uh, security representative in the building um, while it's open. And we will also have another one roaming the perimeter of the facility as well as the adjoining uh, shopping center. Um, we have contracted with SurfPro to continue to keep the center um, and the surrounding uh, neighborhood shopping center uh, clean before, during and after. And I should have mentioned that this facility has been ready to go since November 1st, as we uh, were directed by council. And then finally, um, well, actually another piece that we've been working on is working with faith-based communities to provide volunteer services to help man the center. Um, I'm uh, pleased to uh, say that uh, latest conversations with them is that they have uh, volunteers all lined up for this. It is a little bit challenging and different from uh, other times that we've done this and that it is strictly a response to the weather. And so we're keeping a real close eye on the weather uh, forecast with that. And then finally, um, the police department's community response unit, otherwise known as crew has been actively involved in creating an operations plan um, to that focuses on the safety at the center, as well as the surrounding businesses. 
we will be giving those businesses an update um, this later this week on that particular operations plan. And part of that uh, update will include an opportunity for any business that wishes to receive an updated text on when the actual center is being open. We will notify them there if they desire to, to receive that text. So um, that is the latest on that particular element. Uh, next uh, update that I wanted to provide, and I've already shared this with Council Member Chapman, on her two requests related to the uh, renaming of a, a, a local street, um, a public street, uh, Martin Luther King. Um, we are looking into that situation. We currently do have a policy for renaming streets, but it is geared more towards a, a private citizen initiated um, process. And so because this is a little bit different um, and involves um, a different methodology. We're working on putting uh, an outline of what that could look like to bring back to the council possibly in February for your consideration on um, your advisement for next steps. The other one was uh, making acknowledgement to uh, Mr. Richard Rico for his contributions to the community and naming something in the vicinity um, uh, with his name on it. And so we're working on that and probably have something back uh, for the council's discussion in March. Finally, um, there was also a request to bring back um, a possible discussion on, on cannabis. Um, at the time, there was um, an inquiry as to whether or not where the city was at with its ca the cannabis industry. Just as a reminder, uh, that particular subject we had started on several years ago, but a prior council had expressed that it was not necessarily a, a priority that was to be included in the strategic plan, so staff stopped work on that. I mentioned that at the time when it was first uh, brought up. And in order to provide the council with some new information about what is really happening in the cannabis industry, because much has changed since we've last discussed it, um, I shared with the council that I would need to go back and check with all the six different departments that are working on that, that had worked on that effort and um, see what it would take to go ahead and update that information. And I'm just here to tell you that uh, if the council is interested in pursuing that discussion for topic as whether or not it's a priority <laughs> or not, it would take, um, because we'd have to take people off of other resources uh, to work on this, it would probably take a minimum of six to possibly eight months to get that updated information and bring that back. So I just wanted, you know, at a future discussion. So I just wanna make sure the council is aware of that. So hopefully that gives you the updates that you've um, been inquiring about. Finally, I do want to make mention that we do have our special meeting tomorrow, uh, Wednesday at the <laughs> Cultural Center. Um, early on when we put notification out about this meeting uh, related to the city's flag flying policy, or um, actually the, the lack of one and the um, concept of, of putting together a policy, we had mentioned that the on our webpage that the meeting was gonna be held at 5.30. It is actually at 6 p.m. The notices are out and corrected and that information is corrected on our website. So just a friendly reminder that tomorrow's special meeting will be at 6 p.m. at the Gladys Cultural Center. So that concludes my presentation. Thank you very much. Um, reports of the City Council, Councilmember Stockton. Um, the, the first thing I wanted to, to, to say tonight uh, during council comments is I wanted to thank Fox One Realty Group for um, putting on another outstanding Veterans Day celebration on uh, uh, last week on Veterans Day. It's always great to see all the veterans come out and the families that come out to support 
um, you know, we we're a military town. We got a lot of folks from the from the Air Force um, that are that are in town. But it's always good to see the rivalries in fun amongst the different branches, and we just have a tremendous amount of respect for the service that that many of the folks that that served in the armed services um, have given to to our country and to our community. So I wanted to start off by by thanking them. Um, I also uh, wanted to uh, find out. Uh, if we can, um, if I need to make a motion or whether or not we can add the link to the Keep Vacaville Safe Group's website as it relates to lithium ion. I think that if in, in an abundance of caution and, and not favoring one side over the other, I think that that information should be shared. Um, I, I also think that there should be acknowledgements on e any site shared related to this, that they don't necessarily um, represent the opinions of the city of Vacaville or the city council in particular. But if we're sharing one thing, is there anything that prevents a city manager or um, city attorney from being able to share that website as well? So I would suggest that you give us an opportunity to explore that a little bit further because Right now, all we're doing on the city's website is providing the status of the um, application that has not yet been filed, just for purposes of keeping the public is informed of the steps that the city is involved with. Um, putting information about a, a, a private group, albeit for the purpose that it is, um, could get into a different realm. So I think um, if you wouldn't mind giving us an opportunity to take a look at the legalities of that, and coming back to the council to for an update. Okay, I would appreciate that. Um, and hopefully from both of you. Let's see, what else do I got here? Um, oh, uh, lastly, um, you mentioned during your report, city manager, that, that there is a metric regarding temperature and rainfall related to the warming, extreme weather warming center, I think is what you called it. Um, where is that metric and how can the public access that or the business owners that are surrounding that potential location? We'll have that um, in hand um, and then we can put that out for everybody's um, information. Finalized. Okay, and then you discussed a plan regarding volunteers for that? How many volunteers are you requiring to be present when that, if and when that location is open? So we're really relying on the, the faith-based community for that, but there will be one volunteer at a minimum, if not two, plus the security officer there. It's really to, based on you know how many people utilize that facility. But um, according to the representatives from the faith-based community, they have told us that they have uh, a lot of interest in being there for services and, and just providing um, comfort um, items and uh, to be there. We'll, we'll continue to monitor that and make sure that we have the ample supply of resources on site. So it'll be flexible depending upon how many people are utilizing the facility and not necessarily a fixed number set in stone? Correct. Okay. All I have. Councilmember Silva. Um, thank you. So, all right, um, let's stick to my script. Uh, Veterans Day, uh, really appreciate uh, the service of our veterans and their families. Um, you know, it doesn't go, uh, it doesn't go unnoticed with myself or, or my family. Um, had the pleasure of attending uh, a, 
I don't know if it was a Marine Ball, but a happy birthday um, to Marine Ball. I was super scared because I didn't have anything that fit um, to wear to that event. Um, but I was able to take my son. Uh, I think it's very important that my, my children understand um, the, the selfless service that uh, many individuals, men and women, historically have, have made, um, uh, not necessarily for themselves, but for, for others. And they do it uh, without expecting much in return. Um, they, my son was very well welcomed and uh, I've got to thank uh, Jodis Morris. He actually went out of his way and uh, made my son feel very, very welcome and even gave him a, a couple of challenge point, uh, coins that he geeks out on um, lately. So uh, definitely I appreciate um, all those service members that attended that, that, um, that Friday evening. Was not able to attend uh, Saturday morning, so I definitely apologize to those, to those folks. Um, I do want to give a shout out, uh, not necessarily to uh, some backable veterans, but uh, that that uh, doctor program that I'm in. Um, there's a good five or six uh, veterans that are in uh, each one of my classes, a core set of them, and uh, I've learned th those individuals are um, diverse in every respect. Uh, they have different opinions, different experiences. Um, both in the military and, and civilians. Um, but the one thing that truly unites them all, again, is uh, this continued selfless service to, to learn more and contribute more towards making a better nation um, and starting with that ability in our own community. So uh, I want to express my love to those guys that I've been spending every Saturday morning uh, with for the past year uh, and look forward to the next two years with them. Um, so uh, I, I think I shared, you know, la last time uh, when, I, when I called in, um, you know, one of the, the first stops that I, that I made when I was in DC, I was out there for a conference on, uh, workforce development. Um, but the, uh, I had to see the, the Korean Memorial. Um, uh, my grandfather fought in the Korean war. Um, he had a lot of, uh, views that would, um, get him canceled, uh, these days. Uh, but when it came to military folks, um, he, he viewed, truly viewed everybody as, um, as uh, as brothers in that sense, and um, it was pretty it was pretty breathtaking uh, to see all the names of those that we lost uh, through um, just to the Korean War, and then I went to the Vietnam Wall, um, and and names that we'll never know, uh, names that um, aren't uh, etched in stone um, throughout the history of this nation, and so. Uh, again, uh, definitely uh, appreciate all the veterans that, that are still with us um, currently and all those who, who aren't. Uh, along that line, along those lines, uh, there's different opportunities. I know c council members here um, have volunteered quite a bit, um, but if you're looking at ways to help support uh, providing meals uh, for our veterans and their families, um, please go to vacavets.org. Um, there'll be some times that you can register to vote, sorry, register to uh, help out with meal preparation and whatnot. I see V's, so I apologize, y'all. Uh, but they can definitely help, um, use the help uh, out this uh, during the holiday season. Uh, and the last point I want to make, uh, when I actually return, uh, you know, there's discussions uh, that I had uh, regarding the sidewalk completion um, along Brown Street. So. Uh, they, there was a larger section that was complete to help ensure that there's um, access to the school. And there was another section that wasn't included in part of this grant um, that, again, thank you, Councilor, Vice Mayor Wiley, for um, approving at the time, um, that, uh, that just uh, for 
uh, wasn't included in that portion. It was further south of that. Um, but um, I definitely want to extend my deepest gratitude um, to the staff that apparently are, are listening. Um, they uh, looked into it and, and found a way to uh, allocate the reasonable, well, the, the amount of funding needed to, to complete that part of that, his, that uh, portion of sidewalk, uh, to have a 100% completed um, sidewalk that extends throughout Brown Street. That's um, never had it's never had sidewalk before. Um, you know, quite often I, I see folks in wheelchairs uh, that have to weave in and out of of uh, parked cars along that that strip. Um, that wasn't necessarily designed for residential; it was more for for countryside. And um, you know, I'm always concerned about safety of those folks. A lot of folks who live along there continue to express their their safety concerns, particularly with speeders. Um, but what what really got to me, and um, you know, uh, literally brought me to tears uh, after I uh, was driving there with my older son, taking him to school, and there was a kid uh, about 11, 10, 11 years old or so. I've I've never seen him before. I didn't know he lived uh, right there along that stretch of Brown Street, and he was in his wheelchair um, going along that sidewalk that now is also. Uh, the driveways are sloped to where it's not tilted. So a lot of times, um, a lot of uh, mobile um, units, uh, based on the old school way of, of how driveways work, when they go down, they, they tilt over. Sometimes some folks uh, that are a little more top heavy uh, fall over, unfortunately. Um, so even the, the current design isn't that, it's just straight, you know, it's just straight level um, uh, dip, so to speak. Um, sorry, I don't know the technical terms, um, but this young this young boy, um, in a wheelchair that I did not know lived there, uh, had not seen there before, and where the school knew that he lived, um, he he was in a wheelchair that he lived in one of those uh, one of those houses. Uh, he's now able to access that sidewalk from his side of the street to go to to go to school to get an education, and he was there walking, leading the way, literally leading the way for uh, his two elder. Um, uh, caregivers, I don't, I don't know the relationship, and a couple other kids that were walking with them to school, and it just really symbolized how, um, you know, th that that wasn't a Mike Silva project. It wasn't a District Three project. It wasn't a Markham project. That was a City of Vacaville project. That was a human being project, a child's uh, project for children um, that, again, previously didn't have the opportunity. Who, again, I've never seen, um, I did not know that lived on that street, now has the ability um, to, to be able to safely travel on a sidewalk that our city staff provided, that uh, we uh, supported. And I, from, uh, I can't thank you all enough for how much that meant to me, uh, because it, it tells you that a lot of times decisions, while um, within this representative democracy, sometimes we may not make um, the right decisions on behalf of everybody. Um, but on other hands, you make decisions that you don't realize how strong of an impact that it can make in, in the lives of others in, in simple, simple, very simple ways. So um, thank you. Councilmember Chap. Thank you. Um, I want, I too want to acknowledge um, our veterans and the role that they have played in each of our lives. I just so happen to be married to a, an Air Force <laughs> vet. And um, yes, it's a special time. It, uh, each time that we rec give recognition to them, it's so deserving. I've, I have many friends um, whose spouse is living with some sort of disability that was brought about 
during their time of service. And, um, but they still think warmly about the time that they spent with their fellow, fellow soldiers and life is good, life is good. So as, much, as often as we can, we need to acknowledge um, what they have given to us. Um, I wanted to make mention of the warming center and the need for blankets. Um, is that need still, does that need still exist? We've been having a uh, blanket drive and I think it's been quite successful, but I think that they're always happy to receive more if, if there's an Okay, very good. Um, so anyway, just wanted to acknowledge our veterans and um, make mention of the blankets that are still needed or could always be used. Thank you. Vice Mayor Wiley. I will also just echo thanks for the veterans and council member Chapman. We also talked about the family of vets because they gave a lot too while the vet is off out, out of the home. So thank you and all other military families. And this, the theme this year was service. And so they also talked a lot about how when veterans get out of the military, they continue to serve in their city or many other ways. So that was very interesting to see as well. And um, on Friday, Kaiser Permanente had a special recognition for their veterans. And there were several surgeons that talked about how they got their military training, I mean, their um, medical training in the military. And it was interesting to hear the, the surgeons talk about how important it was and how they wanted to keep helping people. And along that same line, also this week, there was an opening for a new organization new to a physical location called Na a Nation's Finest, and its ma mission is to help veterans as well. So if you know veterans that need some help, um, check out Nation's Finest. It's just up the street here, and um, they're wanting to help people. So that was a, a good thing as well. Also, uh, I attended the Solana Transportation Authority annual awards, and I'm happy to say that Gwen Owens in the traffic division and Charles Kronschnabel also got, so we had two award winners from Vacaville. So that was an uh, exciting time that we had great people recognized there. Uh, today, I went to an apprenticeship program um, at the Plumbers and Steamfitters as a way that they're trying to get more people in jobs in the apprenticeship program. So that was great um, opportunities that we have for young people. And I said that our council was interested in utilizing local labor and we wanted to be able to have workers from here working on our projects. And then uh, finally, oh, the roads, I got good comments on the roads in District 6, some things had gotten fixed this, in the last week, and people came up and said the park project on um, Madison Country Park, it's not Madison Country, Pheasant Country Park is progressing well, so our Measure M money is being appreciated at that park as well. And then finally this afternoon, um, Mayor Carly and myself were entertaining uh, 13 little Girl Scouts from about first grade to sixth grade and telling them about city council and saying how important it was to have public comment. And they were very interested to be here. So it was kind of fun to just share local government with the Girl Scouts. So that's all I've got tonight. It was 
it was entertaining and exciting. <laughs> they all were sitting up here. They were shy at first, and then they represented all of us, <laughs> deciding whether or not there's going to be a swimming pool. And there was staff, and, and they took over the podium, and it was, it was quite interesting. Uh, but it was it was some, something I think was good for the community to have these kids try to understand what goes on in a meeting. So, um, other than tomorrow night, our next meeting isn't until December, because we have Thanksgiving, the holidays, and then of course Merriman on Main. Let's make sure that we put a, a plug in for that. It's one of those local events that if you. To people who have come to Vacaville and relocated and you bring uh, events up and that's one of them you say, if you've just never been there, you have to go. It just creates the experience. And obviously this is the first year that the city has taken the reins, but with a, you know, a 40 year record and a roadmap. So uh, pretty exciting about what's, what's to come. I'm not sure, Mr. City Manager, if you had something you wanted to share. Well, I wish I, I wish I had queued it up, but um, credit to our media team. They have a couple of uh, very, um, very well done uh, videos on the event. And uh, or if you can hear me, if there's an opportunity to put that up there, I'll give you, I'll stall for five seconds. Well, I'll keep talking. Oh, look at that. Yeah, <laughs> Time is taking you two. You're going to make us late. Let's go. Put some urgency into it. Come on, what do you think? We're made of time? I don't think so. Why don't we get there so early? Because I said so. <laughs> We're here. We will let you stay up past your bedtime tonight. Lighting will be 6.30 sharp. <laughs> well, I'm glad you were able to tee that up, but I wanted to make sure. But it is a special event, and it's, and it's great for our community, young and old. It's, it's one of those times that is festive, and it, is, it reflects some of the very best of what a community is, and uh, very thankful that we'll be able to enjoy it this year. So looking forward to it. Thanks for queuing that up for the public to see. Hope to see everyone there on, on that wonderful Tuesday evening. Usually it gets, you know, very cold that day for whatever reason. 
Um, and, and with that, just uh, I want to make just two final comments. The, the public has heard a lot, and now even at some of uh, the meetings that we attend, Vice Mayor Wiley was at the, at the Sloan County Water uh, meeting last week as well. A lot of discussions from Flannery to California forever. Just for the public's uh, understanding, as a city government, we're paying attention to what our interests are. And, uh, and just wanting you to know that it's not lost on us that you know, Travis is very, very important to our community, to our economy, to the families that are current and former military because most, there's so many that decide to retire here. So we're paying close attention to that. Uh, to our local economy, the impacts that affect Vacaville, our water, all these things are questions that will have to be answered. And uh, just like when we discuss or we hear comments from the floor on Menard, we don't know what their plans are. And so it isn't up to us right now, but rest assured the interests of Vacaville are being paid attention to. And lastly, I just wanted to you know, thank um, Sir, that your comments were not lost on me. This is a democracy. The closest form to democracies you're going to get when you can walk through the doors and actually be talking on the floor and, and influence, impact, or inform a voting body doesn't get any closer than this. I, too, wish that there was more community involvement. So much push technology out there to know what is of interest. Wouldn't it be nice? if there was a technology that, of interest and you could put in your interests and it would inform you if there, was an, if there was going to be an impact in your local government. Maybe that technology is coming. But what we do know is, is there are technologies that do concern us and that they should. When we think of social media, we think of AI and, and, and interests that are uh, adversarial to our way of life. And we're paying attention to that as well in all the decisions we're making. We'll never always get it right, but the, the hope is, is that we make informed decisions sometimes when there's only 100 people in the room. And it doesn't mean that we're not listening. It doesn't mean that we're not um, inundated with phone calls and emails to help inform for those who don't show up. Uh, but I do appreciate those who do, so thank you. With that, uh, we are going to, we're going to be going into closed session. We've got two items. Reminder to open it up for public comment. Thank you. We have two items. One is uh, a conference uh, for legal counsel on existing litigation, and the other is the public employee uh, performance evaluation in our, our city attorney and our city manager. And we will have one item to report out on tonight, which is the uh, item A. And with that, I'll open it up to the public if anyone wants to comment on what's on closed session. Seeing none, I will close that and uh, we will be in recess and we will come back to report out uh, at some point when we have come up with a decision. <laughs>